Ladies and gentlemen, and welcome ah. to I Like to Movie Movie, the podcast about movie movies. My name is Garrett Smith. My name is Dan Scully. I debated whether I was just going to box and just leave it at that, but I went Bone Box Hawk. Oh, good. Bone Box Hawk works because this week we are talking about the Richard Kelly adaptation of Richard Matheson's Button Button called The Box. It uh, came out in 2009. I believe it's the last movie he made. Yeah. Which is um, weird. I it's think. wild, but I mean, I know he's got his hands in other projects. He's a screenwriter. He co-wrote Domino, the uh, late great Tony Scott's assassin movie I, with Kira Knightley. I don't know if I knew that. Maybe yeah, I knew that. I he did that. He's that. got a. We can look it up. He's got some credits on some other things. But yeah, Richard Kelly. Uh, we're fans of him here. He did Donnie Darko. He did Southland Tales. Yeah. And his. Uh, he's. I, I don't want to say he's in director jail. I think he's just got very specific tastes and uh so his last movie that he made was now 12 years ago with the box i am curious about that it, it, like does he has be i feel like has he been given no more opportunities or has he accepted no more opportunities you know what i mean my guess my guess and this is yeah. completely conjecture based on just what i've read in interviews and stuff is that it's yeah. a little bit of both yeah because on the one hand He's got enough clout to be like, I'm releasing the can cut of yeah. Southland Tales, a movie that by all metrics was a bomb, but has right. a cult following. I'm releasing that. He was able to be like, listen, I'm going to stack a fucking arrow release of every edition of Donnie Darko. Yeah. But I also think, too, there's the powers that be that are like, yeah, you can make a movie, but we're not giving you, you know, we're not giving you Cameron Diaz money. Yes. Um, yeah. Because it's just not happening. Yeah, um, I, I you know, because we don't that. know what you're going to turn around. Because you know, let's this is actually probably worth looking up in terms of the numbers on the box. Because when the that. box came out, I remember it being very much like the guy who brought you Donnie Darko mm -hmm. brings a you know a new adaptation of a classic, terrifying story. <laughs> yeah, and uh, so yeah, I, I wonder if it did. But I also remember getting middling reviews. Yeah, I remember it being one of those kinds of things where like. People liked it, but they were expecting something different because they wanted a straightforward thriller, and it is not quite that. I genuinely can't remember if I even saw this movie in theaters or not. I know that I, I didn't. Yeah, I know that I wanted to see this movie because I already was a you know I was a fan of Richard Kelly's, but I can't remember. I think I caught up with it later. I think I, I know I caught up with it later because I remember it was um, this was back in the days of like of like. Oh, no, I can't think of what it was called, where you would use the VLC media player as a little yes. pirate. And yes. I just moved out of my parents' house, so I was, like, poor. And this was <laughs> one of the movies that was sitting on my hard drive forever. And, like, then one day, I was just at home, and I saw you could rent it for, like, five bucks. And I was like, yeah. oh, I'll just, I'll just rent it. I don't feel like digging out my computer. <laughs> yeah. And so I ended up, like, breaking my my evil piracy. So... <laughs> Hopefully that's appreciated. Yeah. Um, so okay, so we've got a budget of thirty million. Okay. Would you that... like to take a guess on box office? Uh, am, uh, am I going to be disappointed? I bet it's like eighteen million. 
No, actually, this one came through with a profit, a scant oh. profit of okay. three point three million. So it's thirty three point three million is okay. the take, according okay. to Wikipedia. So I guess that's global. I mean, that's pretty good. I feel like for this movie, like, and yeah. like frankly, it's like I wish that that was still like good money, right? Where it was like, yeah, yeah. If you make a movie for thirty million dollars and it makes a couple million dollars. Good, great, we did well. Let's make another one. Yeah, know? we can do it again. Yeah, it's just now that the the way that this shit has evolved. Yeah, it's like, you know, three point three million is not not a little amount of money by any metric, and this is a profitable movie. But as we've seen, the death of the mid budget thriller is like now it's like, well, why am I going to spend thirty million to make thirty three million? If I can spend a hundred million and make ten billion, you know, yeah. like it's like everything now in order to be considered a success in the eyes of the suits has to be doing Avengers money. It's the and social network joke. Uh, a million dollars isn't cool. You know, it's cool. A billion dollars, whatever it's, that joke is. It's true. Yeah, yeah. And what's funny is since then that has now gone further. We're like, yeah, a billion dollars is cool, but like, come on. Yeah. You need to be. You need to be literally on your way to space to be cool. Now. <laughs> yes. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Someone made a joke on Twitter about Jeff Bezos. I forget who it was. Maybe James Heskey, where they like shared the article that Jeff Bezos is going to be on the next rocket from his company. And they were like, yeah. wow, he's divorcing really hard, isn't he? Yeah. <laughs> like, That's, That's so true. Yeah. <laughs> Everyone buys a convertible. He's like, I'm going to go to fucking Neptune. Yeah. That's funny. I want it's like he's literally going to space to avoid being served some sort of like, you know, <laughs> legal follow up to the divorce. I mean, honestly, that's probably the one place where he'd be safe because yeah. that man is recognizable. And, yeah. uh, he's he can be found. He looks like but, a rocket uh, ship. We'd be like, well, we know where he is, but I don't know how to get there. Yeah. Imagine a future where like there's a process server who's like talking to SpaceX <laughs> in order to get his own rocket to serve papers yeah. to Bezos in space. Yeah. The, and so uh, now Elon Musk is there doing that. And then wouldn't you know it, like Grimes divorces Elon Musk. I don't know what their relationship status is. And so now there's just like a cottage industry of process servers trying to get to space to serve our galactic overlords, their divorce paperwork. It's like uh, the opening of Pineapple Express, but like you literally have to like become an astronaut in order to pose as, you know, but then you're still posing as like a doctor, like under the spacesuit, you've got like a fucking doctor's coat on. Well, you're you're posing as like a as like a cosmonaut. Yeah. So you're just like, yes, we come up from Russia to do yeah. this. Uh, you are the Jeff Bezos, and he's like, <laughs> yeah. And then you pop it off. That's just Seth Rogen. He's like, <laughs> you're served, buddy. <laughs> I made this pottery, and then boom. I love this movie. He's playing the alien that he played in Paul. Paul. Yes. <laughs> and the alien, I believe, was Paul. Paul. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Uh, but um so but I, I think this is funny that like this is sort of indicative of exactly what we're saying about yeah. like do we know whether Richard Kelly is in director jail or not and it's like a 30 million output with 33 million return it's like I don't think that's a failure that's to give you failure. director's jail but yeah. it certainly doesn't inspire confidence for a big payday yeah yeah I, and is... speaks to the idea like well you know the next one if it makes 29 million on 30 that's not hard to predict yeah but then we're in the red it does feel like, though, like, do you think Marvel ever called him and was like, Doctor Strange 2 is coming down the pike. We're looking for, you know, somebody with like an interesting oh, yeah. take for Doctor Strange 2. And he doesn't take meetings like that. 
or 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 do they really just go like dude you're not worth a, a marvel budget like we're not you know what i mean yeah I, that's, a, that's a good question like you i know? feel like i think he's probably and this is all completely i know we're just i know we're just i think yeah. he's probably the type that's just disinterested in that yeah if anything he might take like a script job Right. But also, like, I look at something like the box. I look at something like, you know, I don't see comic book on that. No, yeah, yeah. He's yeah. a very strong visualist, but it's yeah. not like a Sam Raimi where it's like, we're getting a director in there to do the thing. Yeah. I like Kelly's visual style quite a bit. Me too. But it's not very bombastic. What right. I think I'm attracted to of Kelly's work is the, the heady shit, the writing and the conceptualization. Yeah, you know, yeah, and like that's something that I imagine Marvel's not really looking for because <laughs> right. they want someone to play within a play certain sandbox, yeah. and you know, yeah, th- and play within a certain box, <laughs> and uh, you know, so yeah, that, that makes sense. I I do. Uh, by the way, I do think like especially in this movie. I mean, one of the big revelations with that um, can cut, uh, you know, the Arrow release of. Um, uh, Southland Tales is that movie looks amazing yes. um, and I think that this is like a really well directed movie like th- this is a really good looking movie it, it is and and uh, including the fact that it has that weird kind of gauzy effect over the whole thing that oftentimes like a, a, a different movie would use to go like hey we're doing a flashback and to tell you that <laughs> yeah, it's yeah, yeah. you know 30 years ago we give it this kind of like you know gauze effect he's doing that but like the best I've ever seen it done such that the entirety of the movie looks like that, but it's never gaudy or distracting. It's actually mm. like, it does make the movie feel like it, you know, is of the 70s, you know, it's of the era that it's trying to depict. I read a piece of trivia that apparently yeah. Richard Kelly was very against the idea of shooting a 70s period piece on digital. Yeah. And essentially it was like, you can't do it. It has yeah. to be on film. And then he saw Zodiac. Oh, yeah. Interesting. And when he saw Zodiac, he said, it can be done and I can do it. And so then the box yeah. got the digital treatment. And honestly, even though I I wouldn't say I'm a purist, but even though like I, I love the way film looks. Yeah. I actually think digital serves this quite nicely. Yeah, it looks good. It really looks good. And you're right. It does have that sort of cheesecloth effect over yeah. everything that like seems, which is, you know, what, though, I will say that whenever that effect is applied, it cues in my mind to be ready to accept melodrama. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And I think when I look at Richard Kelly's career, he's pretty good with the melodrama. Yeah. Um, it's a little wink and naughty because it's like kind of funny. Like he's got a very weird sense of humor. Yeah. But um, yeah, and I, I actually wrote down one of the lines that I thought was so funny that isn't quite played up for humor, but we'll get into it when we get into the uh, okay. yeah. into the yeah. thing. So um. I don't know. Should we just go right into the plot? I think we can. Yeah, I think so. Okay, so this is based on a Richard Matheson short story, which have you read it? I've never read this. Have you? I, re- I read it last night on the toilet. Okay. It's like nine pages. It's, it's that short. It's okay. great. Yeah. Um, and it's called Button Button. It has yep. been adapted into an episode of The Twilight Zone. I may have seen that because I this concept is very familiar to me beyond this movie. So I may have seen okay. that Twilight Zone. So... Uh, you would not mind if I spoke spoiler about the story? Yeah, yeah, go ahead. Okay, so, because I think it's important uh, with what Kelly did here. The whole idea behind Button Button is the ethical dilemma of pushing the button. Yeah, It's the same presentation. A mysterious stranger appears at the door of a couple that could probably use a couple bucks. And in the story, you can tell it's an older one because it's just (laughs) $50,000. And the rules are simple. 
here's a button. You have 24 hours to decide. I'll come back later to check on it. If you press the button, two things will happen. You'll receive a large payment of money, no questions asked, and someone who you don't know will die. Yeah. And so then the ethical dilemma, and it's really the whole thing is told in dialogue pretty much between a husband and a wife just saying, do we, don't we, should we, shouldn't we? No, this is offensive. Oh, man, but we could take a trip to Europe, like that kind of thing. (laughs) And so as the story goes, the guy goes to work and the wife says, you know what, fuck it. And she presses the button and immediately gets a phone call saying your husband has died in a horrible subway accident. Whoa. And then when the uh, Mr. Seward, or is it Steward? Um, comes to collect the box she goes you told me that it was someone that i didn't know and he says well do you really think you know your husband okay interesting and that's where the story ends yeah and um it's but what i like is that richard kelly in perfect richard kelly fashion goes yeah the ethical dilemma is interesting but wouldn't it be great if we figured out the mechanics of the box and who was behind it and why and extrapolate it into this giant galactic thing yeah and that's a huge gamble and personally i think it pays off i really really liked watching this movie again i remembered liking this movie but i sort of remembered feeling like yeah it's got a little bit of that richard kelly thing going on where by the end i'm not exactly sure what we're doing but i still Mm -hmm. like it you know but i revisiting it now it was much more cohesive than i remembered like i actually first time i watched it i was definitely confused by it yeah, and and I wasn't this time. I didn't feel like there's some details left on the table, I think, but I wasn't confused. Do you know yeah. what I mean? Yeah, um, I know exactly what you mean. It didn't enter like vanilla sky territory where it's like, well, now you're just fucking with me. Yeah, yeah. But it, it's like, I think actually that's the best way to put it is it throws some, some things on the table for you to play with. Yeah. But sure. I think that's what validates him having the right to go beyond the ethical dilemma and actually add some larger plot to it. Yeah. Because I think that all that plot stuff is interesting. It works. It doesn't undercut the themes of that, uh, of that uh, you know, dilemma. Yeah, right. And I think introduces some really, like, exceptionally strong character work. Yeah, I totally agree. I think the performances in this movie are great. And I've said it before. This is Cameron Diaz's best performance. Career best, if you ask she's me. She's wonderful in this movie. Even the way that she's able to perform the limp without it feeling like a big, like, acting thing. You know what yeah. I mean? It's not um, a big giant showy affectation. Yeah. Um, and, and I like that uh, every character has kind of like a scene to shine, even yeah. down to like some of the side characters, like the bosses and stuff. Mm-hmm. Um, everybody has like a pretty decent, like dramatic, almost like monologue-ish scene, you know? Um, and I really like James that. Marsden, he's like the cinematic equivalent of always a bridesmaid, never a bride. Yes. And he really gets to, to flex here, I think. And yeah. it's, it's wonderful to see. He's great. Um, and, you know, I think this movie, like, I really like this movie because it makes a nice companion piece to something like Knowing. Uh, yeah. You know, um, that, that Nicolas Cage movie that I like so much uh, and we've talked about before. Because um, it's similar in that, like, I don't know if it has a lot to say about the kind of like thematic question that the original story asks, which is okay. Um, But in as much as it doesn't, that's why it's good that it does what it's doing. Like it actually makes a really interesting, entertaining science fiction movie out of this little ethical dilemma, you know, Mm -hmm. without actually having to like, I don't know, try and like say something about that ethical dilemma. Like it doesn't have to like, investigate that ethical dilemma in any way or come down on any side of it it just uses it at face value to kind of then 
do this really kind of fun alt history science fiction mumbo jumbo plot that's like really mm-hmm. fun to watch does that make sense what i'm saying oh you know? yeah it makes perfect sense I, I mean i think if you're gonna expand upon a story like this it, it, you either don't you don't expand upon right. it and you make it the twilight zone episode or like you kind of really have to swing for the fences yeah yeah because you can stretch out that ethical dilemma to two hours right. and eventually it's just gonna be boring yeah yeah you're gonna be like i get it it's wrong to press it and murder somebody i mean <laughs> yeah. i entered this movie knowing that yes you know and yes, I, in the trailer, I asked myself whether I'd press the button or not. Right, you know, like right. there's like I don't need it. So like, if you're gonna make it full length, I I do feel like you kind of have to go for that big swing. Yeah, and like then the, then on top of that, I think the smart thing, and I did, I don't think I had the context to think about this the first time I saw it, but like he makes a body snatchers movie with this concept. Like that's kind yeah. of what it is. You know, I mean, not entirely, but that it it has that vibe and that feel of this kind of like. 70s paranoia everybody around me is watching me or in on something that i'm not in on uh some larger conspiracy that i need to kind of like uncover uh and he makes a kind of very like hitchcocky movie in that same way too right like he's he's doing those things and it functions really well as that stuff it's like really fun to what it's one of those movies where i was like i don't get why we don't make seven of these movies every year you know yeah I mean, if you make seven of them at 30 million a pop, they each make 3.3 million. That gives you another 21 million in profits to throw at kind of another one. Yeah, exactly. I'll eat that 9 million. Yeah. Let's do it. Yeah. Yeah. It's, um, yeah, it's, and, and what, what I like about it is that in the, in the short story in Button Button, you know, it's, the, the names are actually all the same, but it's oh, just quite literally, it could just be man and wife. It wouldn't make yeah. any difference. So adding all of this added stuff with the tensions between Arthur and his in-laws, um, the whole thing about, oh, what is, uh, what is Cameron Diaz's name in it? Good but the question. whole thing about her foot. Yep. And uh, we're going to do the same thing simultaneously. We're both going to look this movie up on our little machines it's a race of phones yeah uh norma norma um yeah and and so like to have this idea of you know her her whole foot thing which allows her to feel empathy towards mr steward who yeah. has a facial deformity what a fucking um, great scene by the way crazy thing well i think that scene is actually key because as we learn when you press the button that is the failure of the test as put in by these otherworldly entities that be yeah. that um, essentially, you know, I, we are spoiling for the box. Yeah. yeah. Um, you know, whereas the, the hook of the story is, ah, see, you didn't really know your husband. You should actually listen to what you what, listen to the deal before you sign. You know, yeah, yeah. Um, he said, as he agreed to Apple terms of service <laughs> and, um, but then in the movie, you know, like, because that's really just a small portion of it, you know, we learn that there is a larger sort of galactic body watching Earth and testing humans. Yes. And that we are presenting this box to different couples um, of all similar means and makeups uh, to see, which is kind of interesting in an experimental sense that they would have to have a certain constant. Right. being man wife one child yeah you know yeah, that was right, something right. that they stuck with so that it can be studied but everybody who goes the greed angle and hits the button fails and then we get sort of a uh, exponentially more trying version of this test as a result to see how far it will go but the one thing i found interesting i can't believe we're going all the way to the end but whatever like, 
um, Steward says to them before presenting them with the final deal, he says, you two gave me hope. Yeah, right. You gave me, and I think the reason he says that is because of the conversation he has with Norma. Right. When he says, I know when you saw me, you felt disgust. And she says, no, I felt love because I understand that. And so it's wild to see this otherworldly entity who's sort of been conditioned to expect pure cynicism to realize that despite the cynical angle of they took the money, whatever, we don't know who it is that dies. There was, it it wasn't black and white. Right. There was a gray area where there's this truly lovely woman who based on circumstances made a poor decision, but also has this endless capacity for empathy, which is unique to humanity as evidenced by Stewart doesn't seem to actually have empathy. Right, right. It's 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 so fucking fascinating that it goes that deep, and I think it's brilliant. Yeah, I that is uh, I that whole scene is so fucking good performance wise too. Like she's incredible in that scene. I think the way she oh, delivers yeah. that speech, and especially um, the writing too, where it builds to. It's not just that she's like, "Hey, I'm also disfigured," and so I I understood what you must have felt standing on my doorstep. She goes as far to say like you wear your disfigurement on your face, which is more extreme than what I deal with. And the reason I love you is because you gave me a moment of not having to feel the shame that I feel all the time, every other time, because you were feeling the shame instead. Like your shame was greater than mine. And so I didn't have to feel mine. I thought that was like a very along the lines of like, and, and you know, what right do I even have? to get down on myself about this right yeah when obviously this is you know comparatively small potatoes yeah it's it's incredible yeah it's what, a really wonderful there. moment yeah, yeah but i think that's why right. he says that like you actually gave me hope yeah whereas a lot of people i just you know they hit the button and yeah. and then whatever happens may happen uh, yeah yeah I do, by the way, I want to kind of like keep trying to go through the plot as much as we can because I have questions about like certain oh, happenings yeah. and things, you know. I think I have the I think I have most of the happenings figured okay. out. Okay, okay, uh, cool, cool. Because this was this is the fourth time I've seen this movie. Okay, this was so only like, my second, I think. Okay. Yeah. So like I'm definitely you know, gonna watch it again too, because I, I watched it on on blue and it looks fucking amazing. Yeah. Oh, oh it looks man. so good. Yeah. I, I even I that did... goopy water stuff that Richard yeah. Kelly loves looks so good. Yes. It is interesting how all of his movies could kind of be sequels to each other, in as much as water is for some reason like the base of the conflict or solution in all of his movies. Do you know? Yeah, what I mean? there's always re- room for a goop to point you in in a direction. Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's so wild, yeah. Yeah. Uh, but yeah, so I mean, the movie is about like basically like a NASA. I guess he's like a is he a he's not like a rocket scientist, but like yeah, he's an engineer because an engineer, um, yeah. as, as we cameras. understand it, he builds the lenses and cameras for uh, you know space uh, yeah. devices. Yes, yes, and uh, he's working on a Mars project, which was called what was it called? Do you remember? I think it started with an L. I can't remember. Do you know if it was a real project, by the way? I was trying to figure out if this was like real history that it was grafting onto or if this was like, you know, some like alt history stuff. Um, uh, I can find out. I, I, I wasn't really sure. Uh, yes. Oh, it is. Um, oh, wait, I don't know what he's working on, but the. Um, uh, steward, the guy that is possessed by this otherworldly being. 
Yeah. Um, he was struck by lightning working on the Viking one lander. Yeah, that's that's what it is. And that is a real thing. Okay. Um, it was sent in 1976, and it's the first successful Mars lander in history. Okay. I figured as much when I, I, I yeah. wasn't sure, but I, I figured that that was probably the case, that he was sort of like grafting this story onto a real, uh, you know, sort of big scientific advancement and achievement in our history, you know? Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, yeah, and so he's like, uh, it's him and his wife, and she's like a teacher, I think, at a local, is it a college? It's not a college, it's like a boarding school or something. Yeah, I think it's just like, it's a high school because the kids are high school age, just a private school. But it's a private school, right? Because the whole deal yeah. is that it's expensive for them to send their son there. But because she teaches there, they get like some kind of they discount, get a discount. Yeah, that uh, they find out in the beginning of the movie is being taken away next semester. There will no longer be a discount. Yeah. Um, so putting some financial strain on their family. Uh, also putting some financial strain on their family is that they like to spend money. They have that yeah. great conversation where they say they like, you know, we're, they almost say like we're a danger to ourselves. We like to spend money and live this way. Which I thought was very interesting that they kind of say that out loud to each other. And I think that's that's important to what happens with their characters. Yeah. Um, Especially, you know, like what I was just saying before is they are not immature about their limitations. They're like, I, I get the sense that they they might be the one one the one or one of few families that have been given this experiment that actually have been self-aware enough to put some thought into it right right because i think a lot of people like put some thought into it get freaked out and go ah, and they hit it right whereas like even like when she hit it it was like a pull the trigger don't think about it moment after hemming and hawing forever yeah um but i think that's indicative of who they are is that they go listen like we we recognize that we're not the most responsible yeah, yeah, you know, we we recognize that that we we are imperfect. I think it's worth them saying we spent too much money. I think shows a level of self awareness, which yes. which uh, separates them from potential other members of this unwilling experiment. Yeah, that makes sense. Uh, and then, yeah, the the movie becomes about um, this wedding, right? That's actually one of the weird well, plot thrusts of the movie. Also, adding to their financial strain is he is uh, Arthur was sort of banking yes. on becoming an astronaut. Right, and he was rejected um, because he failed the psychological psychological exam. Exam, yes, yes. Which you know is an interesting kind of little detail, right? Because the whole movie is about a big psychological exam. Yeah, uh, and he 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 failed one, and then proceeds to fail another, basically based on what uh, you know the the lightning man tells us at the end. Well, what's crazy though is that he only half fails, right? Because he doesn't press the button. Right. Um, he doesn't advocate for pressing the button, but where he half fails is that he doesn't just say, I'm putting my foot down. We shouldn't do this. He just kind of goes into the maybe world with it. Yeah. But where he passes is that when his wife makes the decision, he says, this is still our decision and I have your back. Dude, it's, it's a really wonderful relationship. It's my favorite thing about the movie is that there is never a question of whether they are a team and have done yeah. and have made these decisions together. You know, there's not a single Another thing where... that I think leads to the, this you, you two gave me hope. Right. Um, yes. I think that's another thing that adds to that. They never point fingers at each other throughout. This. Yes. Uh, even when a character almost, I think like tries to, you know, push Marsden's character in the direction of like, there's that other guy that's like, my wife did it too. Like, he, yeah. you know, it's almost like he tries to push him in the direction of like, there's someone you could blame for this. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, you could absolve yourself of this. 
Um, and it, and he never he never falters on it. It's never the takes decision they made together. And I, I really, really love that. I, th- I think that's like such a lovely, it makes them such an exemplary couple, I think. Yeah. Um, and again, like you said, it's like, it's why the movie functions basically, right? It's, it's what gives the movie some dramatic thrust uh, and allows for, I keep just calling him a, the lightning man, but uh, what's Stewart? Arlington Stewart. Yes, yeah, right. Uh, why Frank Langella. Yeah, uh, man. And so good in this movie, by the way. Like, Which, really, really if good. you ever want to really, really, uh, uh, enjoy Frank Langella more than you do. Uh, he does an interview on Mark Maron's WTF podcast. Okay. And he did a very recent one because he played the judge in the trial of the Chicago seven. Oh, okay. And he gets really deep in his process as an actor. And he just seems like a really just thoughtful and, and cool dude. Um, <laughs> highly recommend giving that a listen. That's cool. Um, I will. It, I've seen him in a couple movies since listening to that interview and just knowing the way he approaches these things, it makes his performances that much more radiant. That's cool. Uh, even something like this where he's like, and once again, this is a character that almost could function as like a human MacGuffin yes. and ends up being a pretty thorough character despite that fact. Yeah. Right. Right. Um, and uh, yeah, I keep trying, I keep trying to figure out how to explain the plot of this movie now though, because you, you know, it's like we've set up, they have these financial troubles, right? He doesn't, he doesn't get the job that he wants. And then this guy shows up and presents them with the box, right? That's pretty much yeah. like how we get started. Oh, and it's all about the sister's wedding. The sister that we literally never meet over the course of the movie. I believe she literally exists in one shot of the movie. Yeah, so we, we, we see her for a second. Yes. Um, sitting next to uh, Cameron Diaz's yes. character. Yes. But Norma, I, uh, she's sitting next to Norma, but eyes I, are on Norma. I thought that was a very funny detail uh, that she... The whole thing is building to this like wedding of her sister and we never because we meet their dad we meet their mom you know we do mm-hmm. meet like many other characters but we never meet the sister that is uh it, the wedding is for i just thought it was a funny detail in the movie yeah I, I wonder if there's a reason for that i mean like i guess she's not really she's not important to the story at but all. it does seem weird that it's like funny because every side character seems to have their own little yeah you know their own little thing but I mean, she also might just exist as, you know, you look at her and you see, because they make a mention of how their wedding, um, the, was it Arthur? Now I forget their last name. Oh, uh, I got it right here. They're the Lewises. Lewis, Arthur and Norma it, yeah. Lewis. Where the Lewises, they both make a reference to how their wedding was, uh, you know, rather reserved. Yeah. Um, yeah. So it's in the backyard with a keg. Yeah. You know, yeah. and they they had and so this is just an alternate lifestyle where they're it's an extravagant wedding, yeah. and there's an open bar, and the the rehearsal dinner is very extravagant, and I never get the sense of jealousy right. so much because once again, I really don't see either of the uh was it stewart's did we say lewis's lewis does i i cannot think today Uh, we never really see them as covetous people right it's never we could do better so we could be like them it's more we could do better than we could provide for our own yeah yeah but i do think that seeing the sister in the periphery uh Maybe, maybe actually, I'm stumbling upon it. Maybe the reason we don't actually meet her is because she represents like, why do we need to meet her? She has no problems. Right, right, right. Yeah. You know, like there's nothing that we that we don't know about her that needs to be known. Like she is the blushing bride with a wonderful husband. They're all set. And, and like, maybe that's what it is. 
she'll never be given a box, right? Yeah, she doesn't need a box. She's because, good to go. Yeah, like she probably would never press the button. What does she need for? What does she want yeah. for? What is, yeah, yeah. That's interesting. Yeah, I think that's good. I like that. That's interesting. Yeah, I feel like that's, I didn't so, think that when I was watching. Actually, I didn't really think about that character at all. I, but when you mentioned that, like, she only appears, it's like, yeah, you're right. It just, it made me laugh because when they were at the rehearsal dinner, I spent the whole rehearsal dinner going, whose rehearsal dinner is this? Yeah. Like, try, like listening for the dialogue of like, when are they going to clue me into like who? And then they finally say something. I was like, I think like her sister, but then I'm going like, well, then who's her fucking sister? Like I'm looking around the movie going like, well, which one of these fucking characters is her sister then? And then way at the end of the movie. And then I had totally forgotten about that. And then we get to the wedding and we see one shot of her, like sitting next to a woman in a bridal gown. And I was like, that's it. I did the fucking the sister. It, I did yeah. the meme, you know, I was like, yeah, yeah. that's the sister. <laughs> like, <laughs> I'm actually going to be watching that tonight. I think. Oh, hell yeah. Once upon a time in Hollywood. Yeah. Uh, it's like, yeah. well, I'm supposed to do a podcast on Wednesday about it. Hell yeah. Um, awesome. I forget what the name of it is. So I'll plug it later. I'll look it up, okay, but I have to defend that as Tarantino's best. Oh, I love that. And, that's uh, someone watch again. Cause I that's think it's Yeah. Excellent. But uh, uh, yeah, that is, yeah, she's a, uh, it just, so it just fun. struck me. I thought that was an interesting detail and I think you're right. That's an interesting way to, to think about that. Um, but uh, I'm glad we yeah, talked about that. I never get the sense they're comparing to her, right? But like, I get the sense that we're com- like we're supposed to compare it to her. Yes, yeah, that makes sense. And uh, you know, Donnie Darko's dad shows up as uh, her yeah. dad. Uh, oh yeah, a, what is he like? A police detective, maybe, or not a detective, but like a, a captain or something? Yeah, I don't know what he is. Some a desk some... a desk job somehow within the police. Yes, yeah. yeah. What yeah. Do, remind me? There was a line that I I wanted to go back, and I just realized now I forgot to go back. Yeah, when um Arthur's just like, man, this is a pretty big wedding you know and then he was like yeah. i didn't pay for a dime yeah yeah do you remember what his explanation for not paying a dime was i don't know i don't know if he provides one necessarily i don't know like i, I was i forget what that line is and now i and now i'm like wondering well i so here's what you have to assume though right the reason he would say a line like that is correct me if i'm wrong i think traditionally the bride's family usually quote-unquote pays for the wedding not that that's yeah. like you know, but like, I think that's traditionally the bride's family pays for the wedding. So he would be the bride's father. So normally it would be them that's paying for the wedding. But because we know that Norma didn't have a nice wedding, right? They, they referenced that they had a kegger wedding. Yeah. That means when they paid for Norma's wedding, presumably they didn't have money, right? Their police captain money is not very much money probably. So I get the impression then that if this is this big, rich wedding, she's marrying into money. I think yeah. maybe what we're meant to gather from all of this is yeah. that the husband is who has the money. And so he's going like, hey, I don't have to pay for any of this shit. I wouldn't be able to afford it. Like, she wouldn't be having this wedding I if think I was you're paying right. for it. I think and that's I think probably that what we're meant to. to the thematic resonance yeah. of everything yeah. because it's like, I don't want to, I think it's cheap to say that, you know, that it's like a freebie, you know, relationships right, right. are work. But, um, you know, in, in comparison to press a button, get some money. Yeah marrying into money you can see the adjacency there she already um, pressed whereas her if someone yeah like if someone was yeah <laughs> the husband for is lack the of a better term yeah uh, yeah and like but you know like yeah i think that the way that that people have uh jealousy towards those with money like tall poppy syndrome you know there yeah. is a little bit of of uh what's the word I can't think of the word, but you do, you feel resentment. There's still a little yes, bit of resentment yes. when it's just like, yeah, well, you just married into it or you were born into it. Right. Um, yeah, yeah. But I like that there is no resentment really right, here on the right. surface. 
I think it's just most it's it's meant to set up that frame to trigger our resentment. Yes, yes. And 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 to I think just further, you know, Kelly is um I, I really like uh, Kelly as a storyteller, but he's certainly not like a subtle storyteller, right? And uh, you know, it's only further reinforcing the position that Norma and Arthur are in and why yeah. they might press that button. You know, it's it's just setting them further apart from from money, right? We're just we we really get to see a clear here's people with money and here's Arthur and Norman, you know. Yeah, here's Norma. people that are work. Yeah, yeah, here's someone with money that they didn't work for necessarily. Yeah, and here's somebody who is working their ass off and it's just not quite paying off. Because by the way, he works for fucking NASA. NASA. I spent yeah. the movie going like he's definitely not making no money. You know what I yeah. mean? Like. They're making money. They're just not making this kind of money. Like, I think that's why we're doing this. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And and I think that's why we're doing this, this big, that's why all we're having to have this conversation about her marrying into money and them showing, that's why they're showing us this, right? It's like, yes, they have a nice home. Yes, he could afford to buy this nice car, but there is a limit to like what they have, right? And they're living, that nice car is an example of them living beyond it. A little beyond the means, yeah. Here's how we let you know that here's them being set against people with money money you know what i mean and i think a less interesting movie is one where someone's destitute and gets the box right and also if we think about it in terms of the larger experiment that's uninteresting right because like for these people it's like listen if you don't press that button you're gonna figure it out right yes but if we meet someone who's in you know just like inner city baltimore and they get the box it's like i don't blame them for pressing that button the experiment is, you know, the, the experiment is give it to somebody that really does not need to doesn't it. need it. But like we all could use it. Yes, I could certainly use more money than I have. Yeah. But if I step back and look like I'm totally fine. Yes. Completely yeah. content. Yeah. And uh, but I, I wouldn't immediately reject that box. I think ultimately I would reject pressing the button. Right. But I would certainly give it some thought. If this yeah. movie was about someone who was really, really struggling, you know, someone who's severely underprivileged, it would be much less compelling of a choice for them to make. Because I'd be like, yeah. yeah, I get it, man. Yeah, like, that's a game changer. Right, yeah. Change your game. Um, and, uh, and so then we get to the guy that presents the box, right? And so that's the crux of the movie is this box where, as you already presented earlier in the show, press the button, you get a million dollars, but somebody you don't know, that's kind of the key detail, someone you don't know, dies. Uh, mm-hmm. And then they spend 24 hours kind of discussing the, you know, moral and ethical implications of what does it mean to kill somebody? What does it mean to know somebody? Do we need a million dollars? That's the line that I wrote down that I thought was really, really funny because it wasn't until after the movie that I read the short story that I realized they were referencing it because she says, uh, you know, what if it's, uh, you know, what if it's just like some criminal somewhere? And he's like, well, what if it's a newborn baby? And then uh, he's like, well, you know, so she's like, well, you know, we don't know them. And then um, he says, what if it's the neighbors across the street? Do you even know them? And she goes, Doug and Donna. Yeah, yeah. I thought that was so funny and it's like played not necessarily for laughs but I yeah. think it was intended oh, yeah. to be kind of funny but they move past it real fast it's very but good. then she says and this is a direct reference to the story now after the fact yeah um you know he's like I mean what do they mean by no do you do you really know me and she's like I think I know you pretty well and he's like well, what about Walter she yeah. goes I think I know him better than I know you right yeah. and like I, that was a really fun little reference to it but I think also uh, you know, once again, speaks to this strong character work where yep. 
they're really looking at it from every angle. I mean, he disassembles the box to see if there's an actual mechanism in it. Yes. Like they try and hit it. They, they hit it philosophically. They hit yep. it logistically. Yep. And they come at it every which way, which is really impressive, I think. I, I, I don't know if I would get that far with it. I know, I know. I, I agree. Like, would I even, would I try and open up the bottom of it? And even if I did, would I know what the fuck I was looking at? You know what I mean? Yeah. Now we know he does, right? Because of what he does for a living and stuff. Exactly. You know? Yeah. Um, but uh, yeah, I, I, I don't know. It's uh, it's interesting to ponder. And like, also there was a really funny moment where, uh, did you notice? So, you know, the whole thing has like a locking mechanism. They make all, they make a big deal about the key and the lock and you got to unlock it and that opens it up and then press the button. And so they've got this lock box thing that they then lock into a different box yeah. that, that at some point they show has its own key. Then they lock it in a safe at a different point. I just love, I thought it was very funny the way he was locking the box inside of other boxes constantly. Um, you know, eventually building to, I believe Frank Langella has that speech about boxes and boxes and boxes. Everybody's in boxes. Yeah. It's, I think what's interesting about that is it's kind of what we do with things that we don't want to face head on. Yeah, you introduce a hurdle between it and yourself so that you go, you know, whether it's an emotional thing or a task that you have to do. Like I always, uh, I always make fun of uh, of Jenna, and I do the same thing. But I'm, but since it's easier to criticize someone else than yourself, <laughs> yeah. um, she'll be like, "Oh, I got to get this done, this done, and this done," and then I will go do something. I come home and she's cleaning, and I know that's exactly what it is. Like I do the same thing where I'm like, "Oh man, I need to write this." But if I distract myself doing some other less important thing, then I don't feel so bad about blowing off this one thing. Yep, yep. So I always laugh when the house is clean. I'm like, what is it that you need it to do? Because <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know yeah. I, I get it. Yeah. And, uh, but that's essentially what we're doing. Like, one could argue that the first key is just that nobody accidentally hits the button. Yes. Um, you, don't, you don't want that. That's, that yeah. invalidates the experiment. Right. But then putting it in the safe is just being like, well, it's there. We can deal with it. But we lock it away, you know, yeah, we'll think yeah. about it later. And like, we do that with everything internally, externally. It's like a very human thing to do. Yeah. Yeah. Um, so I'm, I'm realizing one of the things I want to talk about with this movie is kind of the reason this movie is a little bit difficult to walk through step by step like this. I think one of the big successes of this movie is the way that Kelly cuts back and forth between everybody's story constantly. Like yeah. in some regard, the movie is like, you know how one of the, the things we've talked about before that is like so great about the finale of a Star Wars movie is the way Lucas can cut between like four different set pieces and he yeah. knows exactly how to edit that so that you're never lost, you're never bored, you're never overwhelmed. This is like an entire movie of that that I think is like a kind of remarkable feat in editing because you are never lost you never lose the emotional weight of whatever scene you're cutting away from to go to the next one. But it is almost always uh, parallel action. The, the movie is almost entirely comprised of parallel action. We're almost always watching basically the husband and wife's story because there, there are mm -hmm. not actually many scenes. There are a lot of scenes where they're together, but they're often kind of like going on their own paths throughout the movie that we are then cutting back and forth between continually. I mean, we even reach a scene where they're both in the same yes. location in a different area at the yes. same time, experiencing fucking crazy shit. Yes. Yeah. Um, I, I wanted to talk about that because I thought that was actually one of the like huge successes of the movie, but I'm also realizing makes it a little, it's why I'm having a little trouble walking through it step by step because I keep going like, 
this is happening, but it's like, well, that is happening, but also this is happening. You know what I mean? Like, well, one thing that I think we should bring up that is introduced sort of as a mystery, but yeah. plays into what what we already know from things like Invasion of the Body Snatchers. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Is that um, Stewart very early on when um, Arthur has the dad look up his father-in-law look up uh, Stewart's license plate. Yes. He immediately calls Norma and says, listen, part of the deal is no one can know. And your husband's investigating me. Something needs to be done about this. Yeah. She's like, how do you know that? He says, well, I've got eyes everywhere. Yeah. We don't know what that means at that moment. Right. But we do know that randomly people space out and get a nosebleed when they're yep. interacting with either Arthur or Norma. Yeah. And so it's pretty easy without being explained to put two and two together and realize that people are, by want of whatever this otherworldly force is, made to be temporary single-serving uh, uh, yes. minions. Yes. And the technology, be it perfect, imperfect, or whatever, is only compatible insofar as it works, but when they're dipping in or out, they get a nosebleed. Yes, yes. It's, it's more than our human bodies can handle. And like, that isn't even explained explicitly until the end, and even towards the end, not that explicitly. But I it's to... something that we start to understand, and based on what we already know about, air quotes, sci-fi in general, yes. we're able to just kind of build and go, good enough for me, for now. Yep, yep. I, Very I... cool. Totally agree. I really love the way that stuff is utilized and plays out throughout the movie. And I agree with you. It's like, because I've seen a couple body snatchers movies, I just like rolled with it. I just, I, I got it. You know what I mean? I didn't really mm -hmm. need more from the movie necessarily, but I do want to talk about that. Like I have a couple ideas about what I think is happening there, but I, I'm curious what you think. Cause there is some discussion in the movie and it's a movie that's packed with a lot of like extra details throughout kind of like, peppered into news reports and stuff like that and because i know you know how richard kelly is very detail oriented and always writes like stories within stories within stories i feel like those things are important there's a lot of talk about radio waves and how they're able to send signals from the rover on mars back to earth and they're able to send basically pictures as data from the the rover on mars to earth yes. and the kid makes a big explanation about how like his dad's technology, the big breakthrough wasn't even the pictures themselves. It was the transfer. It was the radio signals, the transference. Yeah. It was being able to data. translate a radio signal into photographic information. Do you think that's meant to explain what is happening with Stuart and his minions? Yes, 100%. And here's why. Yeah. Because towards the end of the movie, they make a reference to the nosebleeds. And I forget who says it, but they, they literally say something about how it's incompatible. In that it's imperfect and it affects whatever lobe of the brain. Right, right. And so it's very much like they haven't cracked the technology that Arthur in some type of way sort of has in yeah, a yeah. human version, which is he can take radio and make it visual. Yeah. He's got the ability to do that. And it's like, I can take this, this, uh, this radio of intention, if you will, and turn it into action. It's just the, the the square peg round hole don't quite fit, and we yeah. get some nosebleeds out of it. I yeah. think one hundred percent that's that's on purpose. Yeah, yeah, I think that's that's supposed to be part of it. Now, my other question about it is, who do you think these people are? I at various points in the movie thought that they could be prior experimenters, let's say, that then become minions 
in you know the after the experiment because at the end of the movie marsden is just kind of like shuffled off right like yeah they don't even let him get arrested they just like kind of pick him up and you know i i don't know if it's other people i think that they become they can become people like um jillian jacobs character yeah Right. who has clearly been brought from another area and has a different name and all that. Yeah. But like a lot of the people locally are people that have been there for years and are just like the one random lady at the store who just gives Norma the right. message of where she can meet Stuart at right. and then dips out. Like a lot of them are just locals that like the little boy at school, he's a creep at school. Right. Um, and he's just a creepy ass kid. Yeah. But when he's a waiter, he's being beamed in. I don't yeah. think he's like a previous experimenter. The way I took it was the same way that like what happens in contact or in 2001, which is earthlings have developed a technology that has announced to the universe that we are now potentially ready to ascend to another level of knowledge. Yeah. Therefore representatives of a higher level are now able to come and ensure whether we are ready or not. Yeah. Right. Um, so like the decoding of the message in contact was humanity proving that we're ready to take the next step. Yeah. Um, the, uh, why can't I think of the name of the monolith in, um, 2001, it's what granted the apes knowledge to use tools. Right. It is what broadcast that we have now discovered something on the moon and it sends a new radio to, uh, well, in the book, it's Saturn, Jupiter in the movie to be on Jupiter saying, there's your next step, go there and prove that you are ready And so I think that's what's happening here is we've landed something on Mars. So now the people who make the lightning, as they're referred to in the movie, are like, we need to test people. And so their mechanism for doing it is lightning strike, radio. And then as a result, they can sort of, you know, be passive observers. Um, What I like, though, is that since their technology isn't perfect, it does show that, like, even at that higher level, there's fallibility. Right, right. You know, like there's still, you know, and the same thing with the fallible fallibility of Stewart's character is, you know, he, uh, this guy dies getting struck by lightning. He's now resurrected, embodied with one of these representatives. Um, he stopped aging, but his yeah. face cannot heal. Right. That's not there yet. Um, his cynicism, he learns, is unwarranted. Right. So, like, they have limitations on empathy and things like that. So it speaks to, yes, they're inviting humans or testing humans to go up to another level, but also that there are infinite levels above that that perhaps they have not gone through. That was my takeaway. Yeah, that's interesting. And I did, I think you're like spot on pretty much. Like these are, these are mostly the things I was thinking about too. Just the idea of like some sort of higher power, whatever you want to call that, whether it's an alien race or whatever, right? Uh, yeah. Is kind of basically deciding whether we can be welcomed into the galactic uh you know. galactic federation yeah. yeah exactly yeah 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 that, that was pretty much my, I mean, my it's like a arrival the whole yeah. idea was we have now communicated with somebody who's empathetic to understand a different view of time yeah right and they grant amy adams the ability to understand nonlinear time yeah and whatever that whatever comes of that you know may be it's like it's in all of the headiest sci-fi is the idea of this is a testing ground for higher existence yeah Yeah, yeah, essentially yeah 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 uh okay but so then what's going on with the pool and because they're are are the people that are lined up to get in the pool just other people they've taken over at 
to make observers or are they former box testers? I think that they are. It's probably a little bit of both. Okay. Because I think the pool exists just as this represents a portal. Right. It's some sort of portal. Yep. Um, when when, um, when uh, Arthur goes through the one portal and it's because they were giving him a glimpse of the potential afterlife. Yeah. I think that is just supposed to suggest like water is what they use as portals. Yeah, I agree. That's I agree. just what it is. So I think that that is one of those on the table items Yeah, where, you know, they're putting them through a portal. I mean, they drop the boy through the portal. They're able to give him a metamorphosis that robs him of his senses. They're able to send him to that bathroom with a padlock on it without actually going there. Right. You know, I, I think it's just supposed to, to be a visual representation of these people have control of some sort of portal that is a little beyond our understanding. Well, because I assume the people in line, though, I don't think I have an answer for it. Yeah, it's all of the above, none of the above. Right. Because, like, I assume I kind of just trying to like put some details together. It's like I assume this is actually how Gillian Jacobs' character gets from Boston to Virginia. Yeah. Not, not that you couldn't take a bus or whatever. Actually, she says she met her on a bus, but like. I assume they're literally shuffling people around like where they need them and as they need them. Yeah. But then that kind of begs the question, like, who are the people? Like, does that mean the people that we saw kind of get taken over in town are actually from a certain, you know, this like population that have, I don't know. I, I just was very curious well, what your thoughts maybe were. Maybe these are people that either failed the test or were yeah. killed by the test. Right. And have been, because we know that Arlene Stewart is people, dead yeah. and that right. he's so maybe they're the people that go and do like market research on who to give the box to. Right. Yeah. 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 Because if uh, her name was, her real name was Sarah. If the babysitter, yeah, right. um, if she met Norma on a bus, it would right. stand to reason that that was not accidental. Right. And maybe right. she was market research saying, I found somebody. I talked yep. to this lady. It's her, her husband and a child. That's exactly what you're looking for. They're of yep. ample means, but not yep. excessive means. I think they might be good for a box. Yeah. Um, boom. And so maybe that's what the, the pool is, is just somewhat locals have, you know, cause it is like a, an I-95 motel. So yes. there could be people from all around converging on this one spot. Yeah. And just, that's where we go to dish out our researchers and yeah, perhaps yeah. they're just people dish out our researchers to uh, take children that, you know, yep. to add the second dilemma of save your child or kill your spouse. Um, and and it's just meant to be the hub of this is where we're sending this is where we send everybody. That yeah. would be my guess. Yeah, I, that makes kind sense of an all-purpose thing. And like whether it's even really a thing is irrelevant. It could just be a visual representation oh, yeah. of these people have the infrastructure for this to be a much larger operation than just this town. Yep. Yep. Yeah. Yeah. And great visuals too. Actually, I, I love all, all the little motel sequences. I think are really, really good and creepy oh, yeah. and weird. And yeah, um, love it. Uh, also, the way he captures light in this movie in general is great. The pool has that kind of like light coming out of it, and uh, all the NASA sequences have those great neat, you know, the big neon bulbs and stuff. Oh that really yeah. look great in uh, whatever lens he's using. I love the design of Stewart's like lab. Yeah, it's so cool. Yep. Oh, it looks like something out of those like like the futuristic Looney Tunes cartoons that yes. didn't have any of the characters, but were like played like documentaries about space. Yes. Like, like Tomorrowland kind of stuff. It has that sort of feel to it. And there, Oh, there's a word for that. There's actually a word for that type of design. Oh man. I just learned it the other day. Um, oh fuck. 
I don't know. Retro Future. It, it's a great name. It's called Googie. Googie, Googie Architecture. Yeah, Googie Architecture is a type of futurist architecture influenced by car culture, jets, the space age, and the atomic age. I love it. It originated in SoCal with the streamlined modern architecture of the 30s and was popular nationwide from 1945 to the 1970s. So totally that type of architecture, Googie Architecture, is what I see. That's my favorite type of, you know, like space. The fighter. We're going to outer space with radium. You know, like stuff like I that. I mean, I think that's definitely what he's trying to evoke, too. Like, yeah. for oh, sure, yeah. this feels like an atomic age, you know, story, you know? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, yeah. Really, really good. We'll go to space with our space rockets. Yeah. You know, like, it just has, yeah, that feel to it. But the, his uh, steward's lab has all of that all over it. The the circular grid lighting up top, yep. you know, everything is like a swoopy soft edge to a sharp point table yep. kind of thing. Like everything looks like the fucking Star Trek symbol. It's yeah. I love that shit. Uh, Andy's got that. Uh, we might as well talk about it now. So we're talking about his office, that board that kind of flips around and becomes mm-hmm. a map sometimes. So, it's like the old style um, train schedule ticker. Yeah, exactly. Um, that's all digital now, but back in the day, it was the the flicking. Yeah, it's that. But it, when this flicks, it just becomes an iPad screen. <laughs> it's so wild. yeah. So something that I thought was interesting in that sequence is pretty distinctly the world map has borders on it that seem to be drawn by this race. Did you notice that? No, no, I, I don't, I can't even, I don't even really know what you mean. So, okay, so you know, the he's he's looking at that world map, which is kind of our standard world map as we think of it, but there are like distinct dark lines drawn around big portions, you know, that would make up like a section of Africa, a section of Asia, and something is written in them as if they are owned by something, but it's Whoa. not anything that I recognized. So I I think that they were trying to indicate that perhaps, I don't know, but maybe, and who knows, maybe it was just meant to indicate, here's where we've already gone and done the test. Here's what, you know, because I don't know what I have an said. idea. I think it stands to reason that a test that would be a successful, scientifically sound test in North America yeah. is a very different test than would be employed in siberia oh sure yeah is yeah. a very different test that would be performed in north africa is a yeah. different test that would be performed in south africa yeah yeah and that where you can be. get to the same ethical dilemma but like yeah. you know like a million dollars and kill someone it's sort of like what we were saying before like if i did this in the middle of of urban baltimore right that's just a even if it's an identical methodology that's a different test right you right. have to alter this the the window of of how people can and would think right. to measure ethics yeah you know in a, in a system where there's no money or with you know a barter system there's yeah. just there's a different way that you'd have to go about doing it maybe it's suggestive of that yeah that's interesting i like that idea yeah like a different I was, unit i was wondering about it i was like whoa is this them being like yeah, once we get this test shit settled, uh, we own this big significant part of Earth. Like, that's <laughs> that the one too. we're going to take over, you know? But it uh, could also just be like, hey, this area is ready for ascension. Right. This area could probably use another century. Right, yeah. You know, yeah. Um, but we're not going to flip the switch on the planet just yet because yeah. there's pockets. Dude, when you rewatch it, watch for that detail because I was fascinated by that. I was like, I, I'd never weird. noticed it. This is like that really is wild. wild. Yeah. That seems like a very Richard Kelly thing, though, because he yes. loves putting these crazy details that have 
really no relevance but when we get into a conversation like this yes suddenly it's like oh man that's such deep world building yeah one yeah, day you'll have to get up to get your hands around my southland tales comic oh, please i would love to read those. it's crazy and like <laughs> in a vacuum they're not like the most compelling comics but yeah. as like fill-ins for the movie it's like fuck it's weird man okay <laughs> it's wild cool, cool. But it's the same kind of thing where you're like, oh, yeah. I didn't need these details for it to function. But right. I'm so glad that thought was put into these details because it makes that much richer of an experience, even if subconsciously. Well, and it's frankly, it's why I'm upset that he's not made another movie since this one, because I feel like this movie definitely feels like the most refined Richard Kelly experience. Yeah. In as much as like, you know, we've talked before about like, I think the theatrical cut of Donnie Darko is the more watchable, uh, yeah. interesting, entertaining cut. I but think the, it's the better one. But the director's cut is interesting. All that other stuff is really interesting. But yeah, it, it's a good companion piece to the movie. But yes. with all that information in the movie, it's a much weaker movie. Yes. And yeah. it's not incorporated into the movie in ways that like are entertaining. You know, yeah. whereas this movie has a bunch of the same kind of shit. They literally cut to like an instruction manual with some diagrams in it at one point. But it's done in a way that actually like feels cohesive and feels like it's part of the story and keeps us moving along. And it's all part of the entertainment. Like he figured out how to get some of his like overly detailed stuff into a better, more like entertaining package, I think, in this movie. Yeah. And it's why oh, I yeah. wish he had made more after this, because it felt like, oh, you're figuring this out. You're synthesizing this stuff. You know what I mean? I think this might be, I mean, I hate making this distinction because like, I mean, I, I just, I am so bowled over by Southland Tales and the enormity of it. <laughs> yeah, yeah. But I think The Box is his best movie. Yeah, I think like- as It might as... even be my favorite. <laughs> yeah, yeah. I don't like that's I don't like making that distinction, but I think it might be. I, I, I think like at the very least, I'd be very willing to say it's the most commercial movie he made by far, even if the box office wouldn't necessarily bear that out. You yeah. know what I mean? But and I also think despite being the most commercial movie, I don't think it's for lack of any of that weird fucking no, crazy shit that defines what he does. Agreed. No, I, I mean that actually as a compliment to it, right? Yeah, Where it's yeah, like certainly. he figured out how to still be like a very Richard Kelly thing, but like a one that I get why a studio gave him thirty million dollars to make it and thought they could advertise it and sell it and blah blah blah, right? Like it feels pretty commercial, you know. Yeah. Um. Uh. But uh, yeah. So I'm I I'm I'm upset that he's not made anything since now because since this because it feels like he really did kind of figure out some of his you know how to get his weirdness into a pretty good package, you know. Yeah. Into um, a better box. Yeah. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. Um. Which you know. Uh. Uh kind of makes me want to talk about some of the even more weird de- I mean there are still even weirder yeah, yet I, we details we haven't plot, got to. Yeah, more, yeah, 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 please. Um where where are we in the plot? Um I mean, I guess where we I guess one thing, okay, so another detail. Again, these things all kind of happen simultaneously is there's the other murder, right? There's the murder that happens that is kind of being investigated throughout the movie in yeah. the background, which is uh, a woman is found shot in the chest in her own home. The husband fled the the murder scene right after the gunshot. Yeah, and the daughter was found in the bathroom. And the daughter was found locked inside the bathroom. Um, and uh, this is, you know, uh, um, God, why can't I think of her name now? Norma's father is kind of like investigating this murder, which allows for um, Arthur to kind of get details of this murder as the movie goes on, right? He ends up being able to ask some questions about it and look up some details about it. Um, 
which leads him to the detail where he's got to go to the library, right? He eventually gets that picture from the murder scene that has and the that's call another number thing on too it. That I think impresses Stewart and the people above him is that the uh, I would assume that every other uh, experimentee hit the button, was dealt with the fallout, and just went right into that that thing whereas the lewis's might have been one of the few or the only to be like no we want answers right. we want to know the why right and like she asks can i meet you he investigates the dewey decimal that brings him to that book yeah like yeah yeah it and and so then we get into this great sequence where they go to that library where they're both at the same library but in different places in the library investigating different uh you know, pieces of information relevant to this like larger conspiracy. Um, and that all builds to the fucking, you know, three doorway portal sequence, which is kind of one of, I think the big interesting mysteries of the movie that's left on the table that I, I definitely want to kind of talk about and get your mm. thoughts on. Do, am I missing anything though? As we, as we move? No, on? I mean, that's, that's essentially is like, they, they really just, cause the, the thing about this movie is that it purposefully plays its cards close to its chest until it doesn't. Yeah. And so it relies a lot on, on imagery that's supposed to make the viewer go, I wonder what that's about without yeah. making the viewer be like, I don't know what the fuck that's about. I'm done. <laughs> yeah, you I know? know, and it's a very fine line to walk. And so there's a lot of like, Oh, I wonder what that's about. I wonder what, that, what that's about. And it isn't really till the credits roll that you, as we're doing now, as we're yeah. coming into these new realizations, piecing things together. Yeah. Um, so it's kind of sort of a nonstop parade of things like that. But yeah. what we're following is they have pressed the button. After having pressed the button, they're completely disinterested in the money, yes. which is fascinating. Yes. Um, especially because, you know, after they press it, he's like, well, I'm going to go give the box to someone you don't know. And then they're yeah. huh? yes. like, what is that? Yes. Oh, shit. Yeah. You know, but uh, even that, though, doesn't necessarily. I mean, I guess that does correspond because it's suggested that future button presses are when people yep. pull the trigger on the second. Yep. tier of the exper experiment yep, yep. but um yeah for the most part it's just they've hit the button and now they're just trying to figure out if that has placed them into danger like they suspect it might yeah because they... as far as the lewis's know is this is kind of over the only reason right. it's not over for them is because they're continuing to look into it yeah right but it's basically the moment that he asks the father to investigate the license plate right yeah uh which is because they he sees them outside his house right i'm trying to remember like the well, kind it's, of details. after they press the button steward comes to collect the box and then leaves yeah and th and so that's when and so they have the money now yeah he gives them the money collects yeah. the box says hey i'm in a rush i have other things to do he leaves that's when uh arthur takes the license plate yeah and then asks them to search it so they get the call saying listen that's not part of the deal. Yeah. Part of the deal is no questions. The and that kind of sets the path of like, now that we sets have the to path. investigate this. Yeah, yeah. Because he hits them with that stinger of, I'm going to go reset this box and then deliver it to somebody that you don't know. Yeah. Because they yeah. were so hung up on the idea yeah. of someone you don't know dies. Yeah. So the idea that someone they don't know gets the box means softly suggests that we're on some sort of a list. In line. And we yeah. find out that is essentially true. Yes. But, um, yeah, so this movie is is them basically just investigating. Do we even spend this money? What are we into? Are we into anything? Is this just a weird one-off? Yeah, and that's what leads them to this library sequence. Yes, yes. Where um, 
okay, because this is interesting, where James Marsden's character, Arthur, they initially say, you don't belong here. That's like the first thing she tells yeah. him, right? He got not, if I remember correctly, the reason he's there is because the license plate number is actually a Dewey Decimal number. Is that what it was? It's, it's, he finds, it's weird. He finds a picture at the murder scene. He asks her father to take him to the murder scene, which is the murder we just described a few minutes ago. And there is a photograph. And now I can't fucking remember well, what the photograph is. They get is gifted of. the photograph. Well, they get gifted the, the photo, they get gifted a photograph of. Uh, of steward when he was yeah. still alive and his face is one of the many people in the group picture of uh the mars researchers yes uh that came before arthur yes yes, yes. um but the but what i'm talking about is a photograph he finds at the murder scene it's weird it's like sitting on the table and written on it is a call number with a little question That's what mark it was. On yeah, it. yeah but i can't remember what the photograph is actually of I just remember that the call number is what's written on the bottom of it because he takes it and puts it in his pocket. Um, but I, I don't remember what it is at all. Or I'm going like, straight to the wiki. Yeah, is it like a newspaper clipping? It's something that has the call number written on it with like a big question mark in the middle of the call number, which I thought was an interesting design choice. Felt very Donnie Darko. A string um, of numbers with a little weird question mark on it. Yeah, oh man, I don't remember. Police treat the murder as domestic homicides. Discovered that the husband of the woman who was shot as a colleague of Arthur's. That's the chief. Blah, blah, blah. All we got to know about is the. It yeah, doesn't. It doesn't actually it doesn't, have the details. It doesn't. And I can't there. remember, but it's something that catches his eye, and that's how he gets the call number. What yeah. I actually don't remember is how like Cameron Diaz ends up there. She says, "I want to meet you." Are we to yes, presume oh. that he tells her to meet him there? Yes. Um, because she says, I want to meet you. Please tell me how he hangs up on her. And then remember, she's at the store. Oh, and some right. random lady runs in, hands her a note and says, blah, 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 blah. You got to meet him here, blah, blah, blah. And then she gets the nosebleed and dips yeah, out. That's right. And that's so right. like that was his mechanism for doing it. Yeah. Um, and so I guess it's because of the what he says later about the hope that he saw in them um, that he grants her the the meeting the meeting right yeah but then the weird one is arthur because arthur you know and this is where you really get the idea that all these people have been taken over by this force everybody's yeah. heads are turning as he walks through the library to look at him people are following him through the stacks um it's where he gets the information to find out about the lightning strikes right there's yeah. a book about lightning and uh you know essentially where to understand we've already talked about this the guy got yeah. struck by lightning and died and resurrected by them but the lady says he gets to that part in the library where a woman that I think we are to assume is one of the aliens or whatever we want to call them meets him and says, you don't belong here, but yes. then lets him into the room with the three portals anyway. Right? I have an answer for this. Okay, go ahead, please. So the rule is he wasn't allowed to tell anybody about it. There right. was no rules that you're not allowed to investigate. Okay. As this is a very, very literal minded collective being that's Entity. that's running this test yeah when he goes to the library in following that number there's nothing necessarily against the rules of the game about him him investigating but it stands right. to reason that this governing body would say eyes on him yeah everybody in this room eyes on him we want to know what he knows yeah and you know as he's doing that it becomes clear like okay he he's he's clearly a good person 
He's clearly got the best intentions. He has failed our test, but, quote, he gives me hope. Yeah. We need to show him something a little beyond his understanding that might be able to facilitate a more positive result in the second test that isn't in breach of the rules yeah. which is why they give him a view into the afterlife if you okay. will okay okay because that gives him the strength to say it's actually the right decision to kill my wife and save my son right the selfish decision is to keep our lives and have to deal with you know the selfish decision is to live to not be a murderer and to just you know let our son suffer Whereas the altruistic one is to sacrifice in order to give our next generation better life. Right. In a way, it does feel like this larger being, by giving him this opportunity, is sort of breaching the rules. But I don't see it that way. I see it as them saying, this guy might actually prove to us, through us showing him what we're testing whether humanity is allowed to see. Mm -hmm. If we just give him a taste, will he prove to be ready? Does that make sense? That does. I think that's a really interesting read. Uh, Cause like, cause help me out. Cause like, the, cause the they say you're not supposed to be here, but right. since you're here, this radio that's going into my head says, let's see what happens. Yeah. Yeah. Well, because you know, like what's one, what's one node of this experiment being invalidated to run a new experiment of if we show this guy what's next, can he step up to it? Totally. I, I, I like this read on it a lot. Like I, I, I'm very on board with what you're saying. I, my, my questions that I have about it are, this is always how I end up being like logistical. So they bring him into the, to the room with the three portals. Right. And she says, you have to make a choice. So essentially they're now offering him another test. Uh, and the choice is to just choose one of these three doors two lead, a da lead to damnation, one leads to salvation. And he chooses door number two. That seems to be based on the fact that the creepy kid kept showing him a peace sign, kept showing him twos. Yeah. Um, I don't know what to make of that necessarily. If, they, if the reason they allow door number two to be the quote-unquote salvation door is because he followed their signs or because I'm curious what that actually means, right? Like, do you think any of these doors would have actually been the salvation door? Because I think by your interpretation, they were going to give him that glimpse no matter which one of these doors no matter, he chose, see, that's, right? That's the thing is, I think it's it's weird because the two thoughts I have about it sort of run up against each other. Yeah. One is I think that there there's there could be a test of to see if he's receptive to signs. Right. As in, pick yeah. box number two, it's the photograph. Pick yeah. path number two. But I also don't believe that any of those paths were any different from the others. Yeah. Yeah. You know, I think that that no matter what happened, he was just going to be shown purgatory, as it were. I kind of think that, too, because also, like, if we're trying to extrapolate, like, what is the test? What does the test prove? If if two of those doors really were da damnation, well, what is that fucking test? How would he have yeah. any way to know what door is what? You know, he's I just picking the test one at is that he was willing to go for it at all. Right. You know, like the test is does this guy have the intellectual curiosity to step beyond his means as a yeah. human? Yeah. And thus, can we extrapolate from him choosing and entering? Can we extrapolate uh, that perhaps even with a failed test, humans could be ready? Yeah. 
um, what does this second test look like with someone who has this knowledge, you know? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, granted, I, the results don't seem to be different necessarily because, uh, you know, his, his sort of co-worker who shot his wife and left the daughter in the bathroom, I don't think he got that same glimpse. Okay, this was going to be my next question. because But the- had a different... But here's the other thing, though, is that his reaction was, listen... I can save you, Arthur. It's too late for me. Yeah. Whereas I imagine Arthur's thing is, it's not my business to save anybody. I know something greater now. Right. And we're just going to have to live with that. Yeah. I don't know, though, because that's that's after the credits, you know? I think that the end of the movie is really interesting because I don't exactly know what to do. I understand it in a, a practical sense, which I guess we should describe, which is the murder that happens earlier in the movie. I think you kind of put this together on your own pretty quickly. I did. Yeah. Uh, which I don't think is a problem with the movie, but um, you know, basically somebody else pressed a button and the moment they pressed a button, this guy killed his wife. Yeah. And it turns out that, and actually I think it's when Arthur presses it, right. It's when Arthur's wife presses the button, they kill. I think what's what we're yeah, meant to it's think. suggested that, yeah, that that's when it happens. Yeah. yeah. Uh, and so what we're meant to think, I believe is, but this is what gets interesting and weird, right? Are we meant to think that if Norma didn't press the button, he wouldn't have killed his wife. Are we meant to think that they are that directly related? I don't think so. Okay. I think the idea is that, I mean, I, I don't think that it's meant to correspond exactly like she hits it at the, at the exact moment that he, that he kills. I think it's more representative of, of uh, what's the word? Almost like a fractal approach where uh-huh. it's, a bad thing begets a bad thing begets a bad thing. Well, because they do do it again, right? The end of the movie implies that the moment uh, uh, Arthur shoots Norma, somebody yeah. else presses a button. Like yeah. they, that. So did, twice in the movie, they do give us a pretty direct correlation between a button press and a murder, which yeah. gives it a nice twisty ending kind of feel of like it's a cyclical thing. Uh, but it I begs- think that there's a correlation there, but then, as they say, correlation, not causation. Yeah, yeah, right. I don't think that the button indicates the trigger pull interesting but i think that the button indicates like once you press that button you know that this is set into motion and since we do see a table filled with multiple buttons yeah there's buttons out there everywhere so it stands to reason that when someone's entering level one by hitting that button it's right around the time that someone else is because they all have the same time window too five to five five to five and so yeah, I think it's it stands to reason that that you know for for every button push, it corresponds with someone else who's a button push deep and right. now has to pull the trigger because because it it begs the question of like does this cycle ever break? Like he says something to the effect of like if enough people press that button, we're never going to let you get to ascension. Like he essentially yeah. says like we're going to stop your ascension if too many people press the button, but the way the movie ultimately ends makes me think like this is an endless cycle that is never going to break unless literally one person breaks it. Like it looks like such a connected chain. Yeah. As soon as somebody decides not to press it, it would all be over. But I agree that that doesn't totally add up with like other details in the movie necessarily. That's why I'm like a little bit confused by it, but I think you're right. It's probably just like, maybe it's not as direct, but then it's like, is it not direct? Because literally what he says is somebody dies if you press the button. 
And we're yeah, meant I mean, to think that these are the deaths, you know? I mean, we could presume the same way that we could presume like a network of traffic lights yeah. of when this one goes green right. and all the way through, you know, like it could go that way if there's that many boxes out in the world. Right. You know, especially if they're all teleporting everywhere and doing that kind of shit. But, but I think it does speak to the idea of, um, like I, I had this uh, I had this conversation with Jenna. We were at uh, Six Flags the other day. I was like, it's very funny. I said, it seems that everybody but me is happy to never move out of anyone else's way and just trust that no one's going to run into them. Right. I was like, and I can't live that life. I have to be the person who makes sure I get out of the way. Right. And I said, because I, I fear that if I didn't get out of the way, I would just run into everybody. Yeah. And then uh, Jenna was like, well, you know, just don't get out of the way. And I said, but I think that it's important that people like us exist who get yeah. out of the way yes. or else everyone's running into one another. Yes. And so I think the idea is like, yeah, we could all press the button, get a yeah, million yeah. dollars and then just move forward with it. But the real catalyst for change is being that person who doesn't press the button. Right. Right. Because if you don't press that button, you don't become the person who is then put in a killing situation. Yeah. You know, and like, I think that's more the connection is like, that's one less person to be affected by another button push. Right. They're out of the experiment. Yeah. And if enough people opt out of the experiment, that big number of button push trigger pull, button push trigger pull starts to holes start to form in that map and that web falls apart. And, um, but it takes a whole bunch of non button pushers to offset that. Right. But it only takes one button pusher to start the chain again. Yeah. Yeah. That's, you know, and like, I think that's sort of what it's toying with. Yeah. I don't think I can speak to whether there's an actual direct correlation of click. Yeah. Right. (laughs) Right. Right. I don't think that there's any actual correlation. Like I I can't decide whether there's an actual direct connection there. Yeah. Cause it, it's so interesting. Cause also like, I was thinking about that, like, cause Arthur also gets that manual at one point that shows the three portals and explains the three portals as a test. And it made me think like, so is everybody going through this part of the test are only some people? Is he the only one have a lot of people? You know what I mean? It's like Wait, which it's, part of the test? Sorry, my mom had texted me. Oh, that's fine. The three portals. The three he finds a yeah. manual that has the three portals described in it and describes the three portals as a test, as if it's like part of this thing. And so it made me wonder: like, is everybody going through that? Is this actually a special experience for him? Or is the test actually a series of tests? It's a button press, it's a three portals, it's the wife or son, you know, wife or child dilemma, you know. Yeah. Or, or or do some people I want to say get one that part, it's not know? the test. I want to yeah. say that the only parts of the test that most people get are button push, right? Kill your spouse or you know to save your yeah. kid. But I don't know. I, I actually don't. I'm not sure because yeah. like a piece of me says he only had access to that other test because he went he went as far as it, he did. Yeah, which yeah. then brings up the question of is that also a test? A test of curiosity? You yeah, know, I, right. I don't know. Right. Um, but I my read on it is no he's not supposed to be there that might be a separate test for a higher being yeah and him just being an inquisitive human placed him in the area of that test and then that higher power said this guy's not supposed to be here but let's run the test yeah yeah right let's run the test and just just for this one like we got a hundred different people out there that have test one and two but test 1.5 that is usually reserved for Martians or whatever, yeah. we got a human right at its door. I think it would be a ridiculous 
scientific malpractice not to take this opportunity. Let's do it. You know, yeah, yeah. that's kind of how I read it. That's interesting. But I, yeah. I don't know. I mean, I'd have to watch it yet again. No, these I know. No, this is good, though. These are the things that it leaves on the table that I think make it such a kind of delicious meal, yeah. you know, because um, it, it feels complete. A box even though, lunch, if you will. Yeah, exactly. It, it feels very complete regardless of uh, these these details, which is why I like yeah. it so much, you know. Um, this was the first time I watched it. This is the one aspect that I could not crack. Yeah. And almost was just like, I think this is just weird for weird sake. The right. whole, you know, three portals. Right. And then I remember the second time I watched it, um, it was after I had seen Southland Tales. Right. And was just like, oh, yeah, you were doing the thing. <laughs> it yeah, just kind of yeah. went that way. But the third and fourth time, which was last night, was the fourth time. It was the first time I really thought about it in terms of like plot functionality. Yeah. And it's definitely not an empty style choice. Right. I agree. There's there's thought there. Yeah. There's definitely something interesting there. Cause again, it's like it is a choice they're asking him to make, but it's a choice that doesn't really make any sense. There's nothing for him to base that choice on except for the patterns that he noticed that he decided to follow. There's something interesting there. I don't know that I quite and have unpacked it. It but. also happens simultaneously with the moment that I think we agree yeah. that Stewart realizes these people aren't just the cynical button pushers. There's yes. more to them yeah. because he is introduced to that test at the exact moment that Norma has her love speech telling him she loves and it, shows yeah. empathy. And so if we're to assume that this whole web of this, this intelligence is connected, I think it stands to reason that as Stewart puts up the data that, Hey, there's an exception here in this woman's empathy and perhaps a limitation in our experiment where we're looking at black and white when there's gray. Yeah. You know, the intelligence goes, well, yeah, there's also a curiosity here. And wouldn't you know it, we've got a thing about that, that we can run right. <laughs> right. Go, go, you know, like it, it's like, it's calling an audible almost. Yeah. Yeah. That's, that's interesting. That makes sense. I like that. Um, I'm trying to think if I had other logistical questions about this movie. Uh, because I feel like there was still something else that was like itching the back of my brain about uh the concept. But so so, where are we in the plot? I feel like we're inching towards the finale finally here. Well, yeah, I mean, I think you get now we start to find answers. You know, they go to the wedding. Yep. Um, at the wedding, uh, Arthur feels ill. He leaves, and the man, his coworker who had killed his wife, pulls a gun on him and says, "Listen, man, it's too late for me, but I can save you." Yeah. And sort of becomes a, you know, a, a little bit of a, a plot cog. Yeah. Yeah. But yeah. this is also where we get that wonderful, you know, the thought we were talking about earlier where he's just like, your wife pushed the button. He's like, yeah, mine too. And like, he's yeah. kind of trying to get him into the whole, like, oh, women can't live with them. <laughs> yeah. But, um, but we don't get that from no, Arthur. No, he doesn't take the bait. Arthur goes, no, you know, we made the decision together. And, um, and I guess there's also the scene <clears throat> before that where he drives the babysitter to the hotel and finds out, you know, she like sketches out my guess because she's so close to the radio tower that it's like feedback. That's why she's yeah, starting yeah. to have like a sketch out there, but also finds out that she's not who she says she is. Right. Um, so like, yeah, there's just like a culmination of sort of weird paranormal things like that. Yeah. Um, so at the wedding though, is where he introduces the, uh, the prosthetic foot that he made yes for norma yeah and we have the wonderful sequence where she can dance again and yeah. everybody sort of forgives him for the fight he had with the waiter at the <laughs> rehearsal yeah. dinner is just saying like it's a real wonderful thing you did for your wife there 
Yeah. Um, you know, she seems happy. And it seems like a moment where they're about to have peace. He has that wonderful moment where he looks in and sees her dancing. I love that. And she looks out and they have that great moment of like, you know, thank you. I can dance because of you. And him just saying like, it's, I love you. You can dance now. And it's amazing. You know, like it's this great moment of, it almost feels like they reach a, like, we just had a tough situation with this whole box thing. Yeah. But it seems like we're through it. Yeah. Yeah. And then evidently we aren't because we enter this final, we enter act 10. Yeah. Yeah. This moment where he's taken by gunpoint. Um, Where does that guy take him? Well, is this where they weirdly, like all of the sudden he's just coming out of an airplane hangar? Do you know what I'm talking about? Like they kind of cut away, they like take him away and cut away. And then all of a sudden these doors are opening on an airplane hangar and there's a big white light and he's just being brought out of it to his like old boss. Oh yeah. I don't remember. I, cause I actually, it was the one point in the movie that I almost rewound it and then decided, no, I think that is what's happening. I almost rewound it. Cause I was like, wait, what? Ha-? I think we're meant to think they portal him. Somewhere. Yeah, I think so too. Wait, I just want to see what it says in this plot description about it. Um, that was the best I could kind of muster for an explanation because I think they cut away to something else, and then the next time we see him, he's coming out of the airplane hangar. I think, but I but I don't entirely remember. Yeah, I do, I don't remember. Um, it's a wonderful trick of that awesome editing though that we were talking about where yeah. like you almost are conditioned not to ask that question yeah yeah because I, I mean, know I... that it's he goes he gets taken away and the guy is oh no i know what happens Go. um he gets taken away but remember santa claus santa claus stands in the middle of the road and oh, they have to slam yes. on the brakes and then they get t-boned by the truck yep and then yeah they get t-boned by a truck and then it cuts to you know, paramedics and, and uh, his father-in-law coming. Yes. And he's gone. It's yes. just the driver's body being loaded in. Yeah. So I don't I don't think we get to see whether he is taken away or just leaves. Right. But I think that, yeah, we're supposed to presume that now that he's trapped in this car, he was able to be portaled away. Right. Because right. it's after that, that that Walter comes outside. He gets straight up just like ganked and kidnapped. Yep. And then uh, Norma goes chasing after him and and I forget what happens to her. <laughs> what does happen? In, <laughs> what does happen to Norma? Does she get ganked and kidnapped too? I don't remember because she's yes. in the house at the end. Then she gets. Yeah, I think they both get whisked away to home, essentially. Right, right. Because yeah, the whole just thing, like what happened at the library. Right. She wakes up at home. He's in his purgatorial wormhole. Uh, splashy splashy yeah. I think the same thing happens here where he's either whisked to the place and sent home but I know she's taken home yeah. so that the final test can the, be exactly. your son's in a safe place but he can't see her here yep. you can yep. keep the money and the deaf and mute, blind and mute son or is it deaf, uh, deaf sorry uh, not mute uh, deaf and blind son yes correct or you can forgo the money with the extra bonus of you're going to have to kill your wife. Yeah, right. Which, okay, oh, this was my other question that we, okay, I'm glad we we, we did this because this builds me back to my other question. As we cool, were talking cool. about like the ethical kind of dilemma of the movie and what it builds to where it's like he really does have to realize that the real decision is the one where he, his son gets to like live a good life and so he yeah. has to kill his wife. But 
that's also what the guy before did and presumably what the person before did and presumably what the person before because like again i think what we're meant to think is this is an endless chain of you press the button and somebody else kills their wife yeah that's how people die on the other end of the button so does everybody pass the final part of the test or is this not actually passing the test? Do you know what I'm saying? Yeah. Well, and see, that's what's weird is I think that they're meant to be an exception to the test because there's the added factor of they got a window to the afterlife. Right. Therefore there is some peace afforded in when I kill my wife, it's not the end for her and I may see her again. Yes. Um, So they're afforded that peace. And I don't think that the other families are afforded that. Right. So perhaps, perhaps that's why the other guy that we see who has been through this experiment is on the run. Whereas Arthur is sort of welcomed into the ranks of the testing entities. Yeah. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. Because I don't, I don't, I couldn't tell who was meant to be standing behind Walter in the upper window either. Yeah. Okay. Let's talk about that shot. Is that who's that's Walter, right? That we that's see Walter. That He's looking out the window as his dad's getting arrested. He can now see in here again. It's yes. all been granted back to him at that moment. Elsewhere, Stewart is dropping off the box or picking up the box. I think he's picking it up. I believe so. Here's my here's he makes mention earlier in the movie of they're going up northeast that they're going to go, yeah. I think, like Boston area and where we have been watching the movie. They talk about it's unseasonably cold and there's like a little bit of snow, but it mostly looks like fall. The place that we see him at at the end of the movie, it is snow covered. So I think we're meant to think he's going to the next place that they're about to start the experiment. But he has that weird moment. Yeah. Where he stops. Yeah. And he looks off sort of wistfully. He doesn't get in his car and he just kind of waits for a few seconds. Yes. And I'm wondering what data he is receiving at that moment. Oh, Maybe yeah. the, if we can suppose what data he's receiving, can we then find an answer to whether Arthur has passed a test or yeah, what I, the difference of his test is? I don't know. Well, I actually my my question, by the way, was like, who is in the window with his son? Because like there's clearly like an adult figure in, in the window. Yeah. Right. But I don't think it's is it supposed to be Arthur? Are we supposed to think that like because like there's this whole idea of being able to resurrect dead bodies. I don't know. Nothing in the Wikipedia. Because that is weird. I had the same thought. I was like, who is that actually in that window with him? I had trouble determining what I actually thought. I think it's meant to be vague. Yeah. um, Or else it would be clear as to who it is to point us in a certain direction. Because I'm with you. Like, is Arthur, you know, again, is he ascending to be with this other race? Or is this always what happens? Do they always collect these people and send them to the fucking swimming pool? Do you know what I'm saying? See, I don't think that they always collect these people or else there would have been no room for uh, the other guy to escape. Okay, okay, okay. Then again, it is someone hurt, hears this gunshot calls the cops and that's why the cops show up. Right. Um, he do- By the way, th- there is a line early in the movie that this all ties into, I swear, where when he first sits down with Cameron Diaz, Frank Langella says, I had a real long hell of a day. Oh, and, yeah. And so when you get to this point in the movie, I realized this is what he means by that. Every 24 hours, he goes through this long winding path of people yeah. investigating him and not investigating him. And now he's got to set him up to murder their wives. And 
you know, they got the, the police get yeah. called. Maybe they don't get called. He says something at some point that it's getting harder. I think too. Doesn't he make mention yeah, yeah. to somebody that like it's getting more complicated or it's getting hard as if like maybe the cops are showing up quicker every time or, or cops are starting to get a hunch of something happening or, you know what I mean? Yeah. The cops are showing up. They might be making connections. Yeah. Maybe the people that press the box, the button of the box are more curious about it and therefore right. are going into their own investigations right. that right. technically don't breach the rules. Right. Cause the only time that, that Arthur breaches the rules is by sort of telling his father-in-law yes. about the guy who showed up. Yes. Um, but investigations, not off the, the rule book. I don't think. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. I don't know. I, my guess, if I were, and I, I could be completely wrong and I'd have yeah. to watch it again with all this in mind. Um, my guess is that in showing Arthur purgatory and him believing in purgatory and him and his wife agreeing that that is indeed what he saw was the afterlife and having faith that they'll be reunited in the future and all of that. I think that's what makes them the exception. Mm-hmm. And I think that's why when the cops show up to, that's why like the other guy evaded the cops. Whereas this guy, when the cops show up, uh, you know, as do representatives of the higher, you know, of the, the, the consciousness above everything that are basically saying like, we can't return you to some prison population. Right. You know, too much. Yeah. 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 But you've proven a little bit that humans can handle this knowledge to a degree. Yeah. Even if they might not be be ethically ready to wield this knowledge. Yeah. So for the time being, you're coming with us. Your son doesn't know shit. He's just going to have to deal with the fact that his dad's a murderer and his mother's dead. Do you, did they leave him with, yeah, 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 I do. I, I, sorry, my brain immediately jumped back to, well, who's in the fucking window with the son? Well, so the question is, is that, the father-in-law just saying, Hey, come with me oh. because he would be with the cops. Yeah. Notably. Right. Or is it someone else or maybe it's the father-in-law under the radio control of the, of the, the beings. I was, I, you know, it's just like, know. we're going to handle that loose end our own way. And you don't get to see it. Roll credits. I don't know why I think this, because there's nothing in the movie to really indicate that they, but like they resurrect dead bodies with lightning or whatever the fuck is, is, were they able to give him a James Marsden dad that like stays behind? That is like, maybe not a, not the full person that gets whisked away to upgrade, but is like, you know, the, the I don't know. I'm yeah. not sure. It, Cause yeah, it is. I don't know. I did. That was, that shot was definitely like very cryptic in a very strange way. Um, and purposefully cryptic. Yeah. 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 For sure. Yeah. Yeah. I don't, I don't know. I mean, I, maybe it's even just one of those, excuse me, it's one of those things like, you know, like at the end of Inception, everyone's like, is he in the dream? Is he not? It's like, well, no, the whole point is he doesn't care because he's with his kids. It doesn't right. matter whether yeah. he's in the dream. Yeah. He's He completed, you know, like, so this is like, is it a relative? Is it a representative? It doesn't matter. All we need to know is that it's being handled. Yeah, yeah, right. You know, like right. that this kid, whoever it is, he's not alone. He hasn't been left alone. Right, right. You know, and so, and it could speak to like, if it's a human entity, it speaks to the idea that there's a system in place of care to some degree that's not going to leave this kid uh, uh, completely, you know, just hanging there orphan. 
also speaks to the idea of the experimenters are not entirely without feeling either because if it's a representative of the experimenters it's no no there's a safety net here in place in some type of way and so whereas we might not get the details of that safety net the fact that there is some authoritative figure there to catch this boy who got fucked by this experiment through no fault of his own you know, like what uh, star trek the prime directive is not to it's just to investigate right? not to yeah. interfere yeah if we leave some kid who is embittered by his his parents murder you know and disappearance or whatever it turns out to be that offsets the validity of all future experiments because now we have a tainted sample we have somebody whose vision of what humanity is and could be and what goodness is and could be is skewed by a severe as far as he can tell completely unexplained trauma that corresponds with a crazy supernatural moment where he couldn't see or hear yeah, it yeah. was kidnapped from a wedding and right. thrown in a pool. You know, like, right. There, so the idea that there is either a human or alien entity there to just be a cradle for a second, I think is perhaps just to indicate that even through this, this experiment, whether it was botched or whether it went to, like, there, there's thought put to picking up the pieces. Right. Yeah, that's interesting. Yeah. Okay. I, I, like, I there's a safety net enough. for this kid to some degree. Yeah. And whether it's enacted by the humans or the aliens, it does sort of, in my mind, speak to a little bit of hope that it's like, you know, we, we, we either this kid is screwed. We're going to have to work. You know, it's going to take this whole village to get him back to normal or this kid is screwed. And it's because our experiment had some wonky repercussions and it would be irresponsible for us to just let it be. Yeah. Yeah, I, I, I think I buy that. I, I, I like that explanation. I think that's a pretty good read. But, and it then, gives me hope. Yeah. And then I guess then the last question is, is what you asked initially, which is just like, do we think that he passed their test or not? You know? Because yeah. like it seems like the result is appears to be the same result as all the other tests, at least of what we know, which is not much, really. Well, I think the idea is that everybody keeps passing the second test, but that's irrelevant. Right. The first test is the one that yes. matters. Yes. You know, if you fail the second test, well, that's the end of the experiment. If you ask me, you got your million dollars, but now all that million dollars is going to go into trying to raise and educate a child that can't see or hear. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and I, I think the, the point of the test is like, it's not until we don't even get to the second test that humanity is ready for this ascension. Right. It's the first test that demands passing. Yeah, yeah. The second test is more a... Uh, I mean, then it calls into question the function of the second test. It feels like the second test really just exists to because like it's actually, again, part of someone else's first test, right? Yeah, it's like a punishment almost yeah, for failing yeah. the test. Yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. Right, right. I he mean, Actually, he's serving his punishment, actually, is what he's doing, right? Maybe that's Maybe that could be what it is, though, is that you know, either you pass the the first test or you learn by sheer brute force yeah. by passing the second test. Right. Because, like, ain't nobody who passed the second test ever going to fail that first test if it presents itself. Right. So we have humans that, that have grown to some degree, yeah. but the systems in place on Earth don't really facilitate having a normal life after that really yeah, ever. Yeah. Right. But, you know, once again, though, that is an incompetency or an incompatibility, I'm sorry, between 
the higher consciousness in earth as represented yeah. by the nosebleeds. Yeah, right, right. Okay. Yeah, I'm into it. Okay. Yeah. Like it's not a perfect test. Right. Because the beings giving it are imperfect. Yes. Yeah, that's that's also interesting, right? That like they're certainly a higher into we don't know what they are, some kind of higher intelligence. They, there's an implication they could literally be gods. There's an implication they could be aliens. There, but there's some sort of you know other intelligence, higher intelligence. Um, but I do I like that the movie I think is pretty clear about like they are a higher intelligence. Yeah. Hi- highest big big shrug big question yeah. mark. Don't know what that means. They might be less fallible, but they are not infallible. Right. Yeah. Yep. And I also think I kind of like having that read of someone being there for the little boy at the end because we don't see that for the little girl. Right. this experiment yeah, she's alone and so if we read someone in the window with the little with walter at the end it might suggest some learning on behalf of the higher power because we see the failure in the experiment that it assumes cynicism that yeah. it assumes a binary of good or bad when there's that you know and that to the point that this this higher intelligence is genuinely shocked by this gray area when it is presented to him and so you know, perhaps what we're seeing at the end with the guy in the window is the higher being recognizing their fallibility and saying, this test is actually skewed. This test actually has some loose ends. And if we don't clean up these loose ends, it invalidates the test, which also, now that I'm saying that, would explain why on the way to deliver another box, Stuart would stop for a second right. and think and wonder and go, wait a minute, we might need a page one rewrite on this test. Yeah. Because we've learned that it's not a binary. And we've also learned that we might be affecting the results with trauma. Yeah, that's interesting. That's really interesting. Yeah. I like that read a lot. That's very, yeah. yeah. That's kind of cool, right? Yeah, you stumbled into a very interesting idea there. Yes. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. Richard Kelly follows me on Twitter. I'm going to fucking throw this episode at him and be like, please. Please answers. I know. Please answers. I know. Uh, But he'll pull the David Lynch of no. (laughs) Honestly, though, I would like him to because I do think uh, where his other movies uh, are fun to ask questions about, but also might kind of require some answers in order to like really grasp them, as evidenced by you know director's cuts and so you know what I mean. Like he needed to expand it. I don't think this movie needs an expand. Like, I don't need these answers. You know what I'm saying? Like, these are yeah. interesting questions that it makes me ask. And I, I like that. About They're better it. unanswered yeah. because, you know, I think both of those an- answers are equally compelling. Yes. Which is, you know, humans showing compassion or the higher intelligence showing compassion is something that neither party expected of the other. Yeah. Yeah. And we as the audience are seeing on either behalf and both are pretty easy to buy given what we've been presented. Yeah. Yeah. Yes, I agree. I, and it, it's I mean, it's my favorite thing about a movie like this is that it's so well constructed that I get to ask a bunch of questions and be delighted that I can't answer them. I can only speculate, you know, I thought. Yeah. And I, 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 that to me is what makes a movie less. Yeah. Yeah. Answers are boring. Yeah. That actually, that's why when people are was, like, oh, Lost should have given answers. It's like, eh, mm. we wouldn't be talking about it still if they did. And actually, my my big thing that I wanted to kind of get to, this is great. This is like a a great way to sort of build towards a finale of our conversation here, too. It's just I as much as Donnie Darko was maybe not instant, but almost like an instant cult hit. Right. It's like one of the early cult movies of my lifetime. And and I think that um, especially with the release of the can cut, but just in general, um, the the world and especially the film community 
seems to be moving towards Southland Tales is now, I think, a, a certified cult sensation. Oh, yeah. The box is next on the list. Like, I can't believe this movie is not already a cult sensation. Uh, and I, but I think that, like, it's, I bet it's literally five years from now, it will be another sort of, hey, can you believe Richard Kelly made a third masterpiece that we didn't think of that way when it came out? I feel like this movie is ripe for being reconsidered as sort of a, another kind of forgotten master, you know, like yeah. should not have been forgotten, but was, you know, I think it's a movie that based on its, what it looks like on the surface is easy to either dismiss because you feel like you've seen it before. Right. Or see it and then dismiss because it's not like something you've seen before. Right. And so I think there's room for new people to come to it without that expectation. Yeah. And other people to revisit it without without that expectation, you know, yeah, like yeah. see it as a new thing. Yeah. It's so good, man. It's it really so good. Is. And the score, I believe, is done by a couple of members of Arcade Fire. Oh, interesting. I didn't know. And that. it is a phenomenal score, like just top to bottom banger of a score. It really it is good. It has this like weird. It almost feels uh, like Button Button was adapted to Twilight Zone. It almost has that Twilight Zone operatic quality. Yeah. But with a more contemporary twist of being scory, you know, it's, oh, it's so good. Really it everything good. about it works. And I, every performance is great. And I'll say it again. This is Cameron Diaz's best. She's great in this. She's so good in this. And I also read a piece of trivia when I was researching last night that apparently she and Marsden are sort of modeled after Kelly's parents. Oh, um, in that, I believe his mother had a similar x-ray mishap oh, that caused whoa. a deformity. Wild. Yeah. Really wild. Um, now, once again, if I, I forget where I got this, it might have been from IMDb or Wikipedia, which is we sure. know are, are fallible. Infallible. Yeah. But I also wanted to throw this out there um, just as a weird little piece of... Uh, oh, wait, did we get an answer on whether that was Arcade Fire? Oh, you know, I tried looking into it, and uh, because I'm on Letterboxd, it doesn't necessarily give you, like, profile information about people, but I can tell you the pictures of the people that did this look like they're in a band. Uh, um, oh, yeah, yeah, this is definitely, uh, this is definitely Arcade Fire, yeah. Yeah, I get, all I could get out of Letterboxd were pictures of the composers, and they all look, they're literally, like, playing instruments in their pictures. Yeah, and it's, um, actually, I can pull it up right now, just to confirm. Indie rock band. Yeah, it is. It is Arcade Fire that did the score. All right, cool. Yes. I wanted to bring this up. Um, I recently read 2001 A Space Odyssey. I'm sitting on the other three books, and it was fucking fantastic. Uh -huh. 2001, another movie that is complete in and of itself, but when you read added material, fills in holes that didn't need to be filled in, but add to that richness, the way that a Donnie Darker director's cut does, yeah. the way that a can cut does for Southland Tales, the way that the comic book does for Southland Tales. 2001, which was written as a book and script in conjunction with one another, they sort of do that same dance of information. And it's a really great book. It's, so, it's like so much fun to read. But they reference Arthur C. Clarke in the box. Yes. And they refer to Clark's three laws. Mm -hmm. And so I have the laws right here. Please. And I think that they, that they do some of, one of them is actually literally stated in this movie as well as in Thor. Uh, <laughs> but uh, these are the three laws. And I think thematically they tie into a lot of what we're saying. So one, 
When a distinguished but elderly scientist states that something is possible, he is almost certainly right. When he states that something is impossible, he is very probably wrong. Okay. So that's like, you know, I think what it, yeah. to boil that down is someone who's very educated about these kind of things um, says something is possible. That means, yeah, they, they know what they're talking about. But then they say it's not. It's like, you just don't know enough yet. Yeah, yeah. Yep. Two. And this one, I think, speaks to a lot of what we were saying about why their experiment was different for the Lewises as opposed to other people. Two, the only way of discovering the limits of the possible is to venture a little way past them into the impossible. Mm -hmm. I think that is why the water test was offered to Arthur. Right. It was the consciousness saying, this we thought that humans couldn't handle this, but this idea is knocking at our door. Yep. Roll the dice. Yeah, yeah, yep. And then three, and this is probably the one you saw coming, any sufficiently advanced technology is indistinguishable from magic. Yeah. They quite literally say that in the movie. Very well utilized in the movie too, right? It's a a great one sentence explainer for a couple of things. They also, it's very funny the way they use it. You know, they, uh, I love the way it's introduced as like that quote on a piece of art that uh, Arthur has in his basement. But then I believe, doesn't somebody literally like, as they're looking at something impossible, just utter that out loud? Yeah. They yeah. quite literally say it. Yeah. I think it's said a couple times too. Yeah. Um, if I remember correctly, someone starts to say it, and then someone else is like, "Yeah, like magic." Yeah. But yeah, I, yeah. I don't. I don't remember. But I, that's another thing. Like that. That law right there is the uh, academic version of eh, Magic Island. Right. Yes. Yep. <laughs> you know where exactly. it's just like yep. where we go. Did he end up at the plane hangar or back in the bed? It's like, well, he ended up wherever they wanted him to be, and they had the means to do it. Oh, we know this because it, it is known. I love the idea of, listen, science explains it somehow. Just yeah. because we don't understand the science yet doesn't mean there's not science behind it. Is kind yeah, of, exactly. You know, the, yeah. And, uh, you know, that's that's why, again, it's like all the things that we've been talking about of like, you know, these things aren't explained, but I like them and they work for me. The fucking portal pool. It's not explained. I don't even know what its purpose necessarily is. But it works for me. I get that that is a technology. I get that that is a science. That is yeah. something that this advanced race or whatever they are is doing and is functional, right? And I, but it looks like magic to me because I don't know what it is. Because it's magic. Oh, and I like yeah. the idea too. Like even that possession of the of the yeah. minions, that looks like magic. But the fact that it's not perfect shows that it's a technology being developed. Yes. Yeah. 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 And like so, it's it, that walks that line between them. Yeah. It's. It's insane how dense and thorough this movie is if you let it be. Yeah. Oh, I agree. I actually that's that's kind of what I was trying to get at with the, my my editing compliment earlier is um it really is actually a pretty dense movie, but the way that he just kind of cuts 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 between all these different sequences without ever losing any of those threads keeps it moving and keeps it, it keeps it feeling like you know, a detective movie, an investigation, a, you know, it has a, a, a real rhythm to it. It pops it has the energy you know? of the thriller that you would expect it to be. Yes, exactly. While, while still being like a dense science fiction movie. Um, yeah. It's, it's pretty remarkable, actually. I, it definitely does not get the credit it deserves. I, I think I can say it that. extrapolates on that ethical dilemma into some like huge ideas. Yes. Yep. A huge idea. And I just, something to me, like the, the, the balls that it takes to take a legendary, untouchable Matheson story that's all about looking inward and asking yourself what you would do and being like, 
Yo, but what about lightning aliens to explain <laughs> yeah. the why? I know. The balls to even take that swing is insane. And two, in my estimation, completely fucking nail it feels impossible. But as we know from the second law, you got to venture into the impossible a little bit. Yeah. Lightning aliens are so fucking cool, man. I, Lightning I, is the coolest thing ever. The best line in the movie is uh, Langella saying, now I am in communication with those that make the lightning. Yes. Yeah, that's the line. Oh, it's, it's so, so good. good. Yeah. And he says it with his very charming and... Yeah. Oh, I, that was one thing that stuck with me literally every time I've watched this movie is when uh, uh, Norm is trying to explain what he looked like to yes, Arthur yes. before he met him. And she was just like, oh, no, you wouldn't want to see him because blah, blah, blah. And she's like, He's very charming. Yeah, yeah. And it's very funny because, like, he's not particularly, like, he's not flirty or, like, hey, hey, hey kind of thing. Right. He's very straightforward, but he's very polite. And, like, yeah. it just occurred to me, like, you know, we, we refer to things that aren't awesome, but in its literal term as awesome. Yes, yes. And I think of charming almost as, like, pimping. And it's like, no, charming yeah. just means that you're easy to work with. You're easy yeah. to, to, to consort with. Yeah. And he's very easy to consort with. He gives yeah. you the information as it is. Yep. very polite and i'll be back at five <laughs> like, <laughs> I, I, I love that she's like he's quite charming <laughs> that yeah. always stuck with me i also like the idea that this whole movie functions as like these aliens basically have to be door-to-door salesmen because it's like yeah. 1973 or whatever the fuck you know what i mean it's like that's the thing that makes the most sense for them to enact this plan because of yeah. the time in which they're trying to enact it I yeah we get like, an email now yeah i think that's like a very fun funny idea we get an email that's like, I'm a Nigerian prince that has yes. recently come into a lot of exactly. money and a box with a yeah. button on it. Yeah. Like, oh. <laughs> if you reply to me, I'll give you the money. Also murder your family. Like, you know, like, you have to make this that is choice. the dilemma you must face. Yeah. Yeah. Um, boy, I was really glad you suggested this because it's probably been, a, I think I saw it like a decade ago. You know, it's been like a yeah. really long time since I've seen it. And uh, it was really worth rewatching. I, I had a blast watching this yesterday. Great movie. Yeah. And what's crazy is, to the listeners, even if you haven't seen it and yeah. you listened to this podcast and heard it all spoiled, I don't think that you will enjoy the movie any less than you would if you went in blind. Totally Because agree. it's just one of those, like, I watched it for the fourth time last night and it felt like the first time just yeah. because there were so many new things to think about, so many things that I had forgotten. And just there, there's like a hundred different angles through which you can watch this movie. Like it's it's a very good rewatcher. Yep. And I suspect one of those movies that's fun to show to others. Yeah, and and in as much as it is a mysterious thriller, the mystery is not. It's not a movie that hangs on its twists or anything like that. No, so not think, at all. You know what I mean? It, it's not a mystery in that way. Um, in fact, I think some of it's kind of predictable. Uh, and if you go into it thinking like, oh, I can't wait to see this like twisty mystery, you'll you'll kind of defeat yourself, you know, in, in getting to enjoy it. I think it almost it. like it, it like hinges upon being predictable. Yes, like, I yeah, think it, it expects you to have expectations. I don't think that's it. a problem. You know what I mean? No, not at all. Um, I actually think it would be a problem with the viewer if they went in thinking that it's that kind of movie. They'd be like, oh, well, I figured this out. And it's like, yeah, but that but that's not the point. <laughs> you yeah. Know? Yeah, that's one of those things like there's been a hundred different movies where like right up right off the bat, I was like, all right, I figured this out. And half of them, because they hinge upon being figured out <coughs> spiral um, uh-huh. right off the bat, you're like, well, what, what am I wasting my time watching the rest of this? Because yeah. I figured it out. But like, this isn't a movie that's about the figuring out. Right. It's it really is a movie about the characters within it. Yes, agreed. You're like we spent two hours here hemming and hawing over what the plot means. Yes. But the only reason we could do that is because the characters in it are so compelling that we want to know 
what their reaction to this cryptic plot is and what it means for them. It's it's fantastic. Totally agree. I, I genuinely think of all the stuff we've been sitting here talking about and, and how it makes it a, a great, interesting rewatcher that we have all these questions and stuff. The, the whole thing that makes the movie work and the reason to watch the movie is not the science fiction concept or even the ethical dilemma. I think it's Norma and Arthur's relationship and yep. the way that they maintain that relationship in the midst of this like stressful situation they find themselves in. That mm-hmm. to me is like the heart of this whole fucking movie. I, I, I like, they are goals. They are like actually a very interesting, compelling couple that I, I think, uh, you know, are very admirable uh, in, in the way that they work as a team and, and are yeah. never in doubt of each other, you know? Yeah, they fail the test, but they never, ever fail one another. Right, right. Yes. Which maybe is the thing that this uh, higher intelligence doesn't know about is yeah. that kind of intimacy or something, right? Where, where having another person that you can rely on like that can make you better than the mistake that you might make on your own. Uh, yeah, that's true. Because this higher power seems to only be in conversation with itself. Right, right. Make, so like make, to you know. the idea of family and care and, and chosen partners is potentially foreign to it at least in, a, in an experiential sense maybe like that might be something that they are learning from from this couple yeah. and they're you know i don't know interesting to ponder I, I love that kelly is able to uh elicit these kinds of questions and conversations all of his movies that, are like um, this classic story i don't know if it's true or not of a scientist that like put a monkey into a room to observe what it would do under certain conditions and he would look through the keyhole and the first time he looked through the keyhole, he looked and saw the monkey looking back out at him. <laughs> interesting. And it's like, maybe we're, maybe this is a little bit of that. Yeah. Yep. Yeah. Very interesting. Uh, boy. Yeah. I like this movie, man. I, I fucking, uh, I'm probably going to find a copy of it and buy it. Cause I would like to have this on my shelf in my collection. I got it on eBay. That was, that was where I was able to find it on blue. Excellent. All right. So there, there is a release of it floating around somewhere. Yeah, it was one of those where, like, when you look around, you get the the region. Well, you're region free, so you can get them really wherever, right? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, Yeah, I don't have a region free. And since it's not in UHD, I had to make sure the region matched. But I found it on eBay. It was like five bucks. It was nice. One of those. Yeah, I mean, I'm looking at it on Letterboxd right now. It's got an average two and a half star rating. So, like I said, it's like it feels like this movie has not yet been reclaimed and reassessed and should be or is about to be maybe, you know? In time. We'll do our part. Yeah, yeah. We will do our part. I will um, say some some critics that I'm a fan of are four and five star ratings on this movie. So oh yeah. There's definitely there's a growing movement. We're part of it. We're on the ground floor. Open the box, everybody. That's right. Open the box. That's right. Uh do you want to tell people what we're gonna do next week? Are we yeah, I mean, that? so my question though for you is are we gonna do a YouTube classic or are we gonna do a movie review? I, th- I think, well, I think it could be both if you're cool with that. Like, I would like it yeah. to be a movie review, but we could just throw it on YouTube as well. I, I can do both of those things. I mean, yeah, it doesn't matter. So, I mean, listeners, uh, we're not going to do the classic YouTube style episode. You might see a video for this. You might yeah. not. But either way, our next episode is going to be a review and dissection episode. Yeah. Um, whether you see it on YouTube or not, it's going to still be in our classic feed yeah. Yeah. Uh, as this episode was. 
And so the movie that we're going to do is we're in agreement on the Friends of Eddie Coyle. Yes, sir. Peter Yates is the Friends of Eddie Coyle, which is currently available. I've never seen it. Yeah, me neither. Um, I just watched his movie, The Hot Rock on Criterion Channel. We talked about it on our last YouTube episode. I thought it was fucking great. Uh, I've heard this is also fucking great. This stars Robert Mitchum, who I've become a big fan of. Oh, yeah. And it's on on Canopy. So if you have a a library card, you can watch The Friends of Eddie Coyle before uh, our next episode. Also, little life hack. Um, I recently got a fire stick. Ooh. And when I logged into Canopy, before I put my library card info in it, it told me that I just had unlimited movies anyway. Oh, great. So I think that Canopy might be beyond the library thing. Like, I, I actually have less movies now that I put my library info <laughs> in. I only have four a month. Regardless... You should get a library card anyway, yes. because yes. it's a good thing to have, and libraries demand to be supported and deserve to be supported. Yes. As does Canopy. They are doing the Lord's work in providing free and cool entertainment. Yes. Um, so definitely uh, check out Canopy. Like you can you could log on in three minutes, the second uh-huh. you stop this, and be watching current and interesting movies of all genres completely for free. Um, so definitely hop onto Canopy if you can. Yeah, uh, I'm very excited to check this movie out, man. I'm I'm pretty excited about. It. Oh, dude, Peter Boyle's in this movie. Yeah, very excited. Nice. The friends of Peter Boyle. <laughs> yeah, it, this is a movie that I've I've heard a lot about. Like, it's one of those that is always mentioned in great movie conversations, and I've just never got around to. Same. Yeah, I, I'm I'm looking forward to it. Um, what do you what do you want to plug, my man? Um, you can check out Hot Property is on Spotify. Um, this week we um. What did we do this week? What, what Man, kind of crazy been... food did you eat? We didn't do food this week because we did the, the gummy bear challenge last time. The little yes. nitro gummy bear. Yes. Um, this time around, what the hell were we doing? Man, my, my week is... I am like spaced out. I get you. I can't, I can't think anymore. Um, but whatever, you'll find out. It's very funny. Listen to Hot Property. Uh-huh. Um, check out moviejohn.com. Check out findy.com. And um, I guess also check out Dumpster Fires for you on uh, on everything because uh, Jen is slinging some really cool uh, candles. Oh, <laughs> I know what we did on this episode. Uh, we discussed the the uh, the conspiracy of DB Cooper, oh, and okay. we also revealed the songs that we sing with our pets' names in them. Oh, of course, yeah. Because everybody does that now. Oh, I do that. I, I, yeah. have a, I have a breakfast song that I sing Spock to the tune of the Star Wars theme. Can you sing it right now? Please do. Uh, breakfast, nothing but breakfast, nothing but breakfast for Mr. Spock. <laughs> and the fact that it's Mr. Spock dipping yeah. into Star Wars yeah. Yeah. is very funny. Oh, yeah. right on. Yeah. yeah. Uh, yes, I, lo- I, love, I love pet songs. Do a lot you of them. Yep. You gotta have them. They just happen. It's one yep. of those things. Yep. And uh, so yeah, we did some pet songs, and uh, we talked about DB Cooper, and we talked a little bit about uh, about Loki. Hell yeah! Oh, I haven't watched that yet. I'm I'm looking forward to checking that one out. I watched it last night, dude. Owen Wilson. Yeah. As a like as a as a company man in a uh, timeline preserving unit of of timeline preservers. Yes. It's real funny. Okay, it's pretty good. good. I like it so far. Yeah. That sounds good. He's like real laid back because time doesn't exist to him, but he's also a company (laughs) man. They get the job done. It's very cool. Perfect person for that. Yeah, Yeah, it's a lot of fun. 
Awesome. Uh, you can check out my other show, Killer Bees Podcast. Uh, we just put out a couple episodes on Rutger Hauer uh, that were really fun to do. Um, we have some cool stuff coming up. We just recorded a Peter Weller episode, which was a lot of fun. Peter Weller's a, a weird, interesting guy. Um, weird, interesting guy. Yeah. And uh, dude, did you know he knew he like actually knew and spent time with Miles Davis? He was like friends really? with Miles Davis. Yeah. Because he's yeah. like. That that scene where he pulls a trumpet out and does a trumpet solo in um uh uh, uh what the hell not Buck Rogers uh Buck Rubansai. Yeah. Um, that's just him playing that he's a trumpet player. He's like he oh. had a band with Jeff Goldblum at some point. Um Good he's just a jazz oh, trumpet incredible. player. Incredible. Yeah. Yep. His band was Jeff Goldblum, were they called the Weirds? Uh, yeah, I forget what they were called, but yes. Um, <laughs> uh but uh, yeah, so check the out my podcast. Weirds. Yeah, exactly. The tall weirds. Uh, check out Killer Bees. Uh, having a lot of fun over there. And moviejohn.com, as Dan mentioned, um, they have a Patreon that just went live this week. Oh, and, yeah. uh, you know, uh, people should check out. You can get a subscription to the magazine via Patreon. Uh, and you should. Um, and uh, yeah, I think. Oh, and find me everywhere at Philadelphia. That's with an F. Follow my letterbox, please. Hey, I'm uh, at Dan Scully on all the things. Yeah. And uh, follow us on uh, on all the social media at I Like Two Movie. It's numeric two. Uh, on you know Twitter, Facebook at gmail.com. Email us, tell us what movies you want us to talk about. Um, I think that's it. Got anything else, Dan? Um I will be on an upcoming episode of oh, I should have had this ready. Uh, an upcoming episode of a podcast that I don't even know if I have the title to. Um You can figure it out. I have no clue what it's called. Whatever. I will announce it next time because it'll be recorded this week. But I will be on an upcoming episode of a podcast where I will be defending Once Upon a Time in Hollywood as Tarantino's best movie. That rocks. That sounds fun. Um, All right. My name is Gareth Smith. I like to movie movie. My name is Dan Scully and I like to movie movie. And we all know that you like to movie movie because we like to movie movie.